Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. What's good, Internet? It's August 2nd, 2022, and you are listening to Waypoint Radio, episode 498. I'm your host, Rob Zachney, and I'm joined by Patrick Lepic. Hello. Renata Price. Howdy. And today we also welcome, on a visit from the news team, Tyrone Dowd. Hey, what's going on, guys? Uh, not much. Good to have you, man. Um, so Tyrone's been helping us out with some news blogs, and we've needed to get him on the show for a minute. But I have to tell you, uh, you seem so busy over on the news team that you are one of the hardest bookings uh, we've, we've, we've had to do. <laughs> they, they are like, sorry, Tyrone's mission critical. The place doesn't function <laughs> without him. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's Trying to balance both has been a little tougher. Uh, than expected, but I'm happy that I found this sweet balance. It's really cool to be able to write about games on the side while I'm also writing about you know whatever Trump is doing, uh, which is what I did this morning. Uh, so yeah, uh, the two the two balances, the two the two things, uh, whatever exactly. Trump is doing, and then I like this video game. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, the, it's important that we we compress the world down to video games, Trump and Elon Musk. Uh, at least we finally got the marching orders. God, I hope I'm not speaking out of turn here. But we finally got orders that like, hey, crypto stories are dead. Nobody gives it. Nobody cares about that anymore. Uh, and so the crypto, the crypto beat having boomed uh, has like crypto itself, I guess, entered its bust phase. It's all stray now. All- just cats. Like you were just supposed yeah. to write about cats the next yeah. two weeks. That's why I have a cat story going up tomorrow. Well, I guess today when this goes live, I'm just fulfilling. I'm just SEO now. Uh, so Tron and Ren, I know that both of you have been playing Multiversus, and I think we touched on that a little bit as it launched. But no, that Kato's was a, not that was here, a beta, so I can talk shit. Right? He was a Kato. This is also Kato, beta. Yes, but it's more oh, like I don't know. Kato played an early version, shat on it. Everyone, like everyone right. else, like this game actually exactly. seems like pretty all right. Seems like the public perception on it was maybe a little misguided. Maybe having games leak ahead of time can create a sort of a. And then it, Kato's like, actually, like I just don't. I don't like any of it. It's not Smash. No, I hate Smash. it. Kato has I, wrong I despise, person disease. I despise new things. Oh. Kato has wrong idiot disease. I'm, it's it's. I'm so mad. I'm Wait, like, I think so whips. Does the, okay, so, all right. Let's start there. Here we that go. is my hope. My the best outcome of this scenario <laughs> is that he is not here. Has to edit this podcast. Listens to us telling him how he is so consequentially wrong, and then have two people hopefully uh, uh, b- back up these reinforcements of what I want to happen. But it sounds like uh, may actually be true. I think that Multiversus is a good video game, and it's okay. good at the thing that it is trying to do, which is to like be a a successor to the current power vacuum and like the platform fighter space. Uh, it has 
a solid hook, like gameplay wise, uh, which is like it's primarily 2v2 format uh, and is also has the like brand recognition that drove Smash to like major popularity. And like finally, I would say has like the genuine mechanical depth it needs to hold its own as a like competitive game. Uh, I, I think it is a, 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 a exceptional uh, uh, thing that it is. Yeah, no, I I think uh, just you touched on it there, like them going for the 2v2 format and setting it apart already from Smash is super cool. Um, you know, there, there's, I don't think I know anyone who does 2v2 in Smash. So for them to like add in mechanics that are specifically tailored to like, okay, me and my friend, we play this game and we fight competitively against two other folks. That's kind of awesome. Yeah. And like, I think it is, it is built around a 2v2 structure. Um, but it's also like totally viable in 1v1 settings, which is how I know that like the characters are well designed. Even the games like quote unquote support characters, totally fine to use in a 1v1 context. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I've been, I'm curious, Trone, who have you been, who have you been putting time into? Uh, Superman, weirdly enough. Uh, he's I, one of like the first unlocks. I can't be on this call. Get. What was that? I can't, I can't be on this call. <laughs> uh, no, I went with him because he was like the first character I learned. And it was like, oh, well, he plays decent enough. And I just kind of stuck with him. Toxic. I am, I am, I am anti, when it comes to multiverses, I am deeply anti-Superman. I'm deeply anti-Batman. Over the weekend, I tweeted that I think that um, multiverses made me understand the guy who shot Batman's parents. <laughs> like I really, I really ended up relating to him uh, after going a couple of uh, games against a good Batman player. Yeah. Uh, that is, yeah, Superman is like. That's the thing is like the way I know this is a well designed fighting game is that I could get irrationally angry at someone saying that they play a lot of Superman because that character is very well designed uh, to be an absolute nightmare to play against. <laughs> One you can beat, but a fucking nightmare. And that is, like, to me, a sign that the game's, like, balance and, like, structure is working well. If you ask any Guilty Gear Strive player, hey, how do you feel about X character that isn't the character they play? They'll be like, I I hate that motherfucker. (laughs) Oh. And so that multiverses can elicit this in me is a good sign. So I'm I'm curious, what is... So in terms of, like, how these characters play, I'm curious, Mm -hmm. what is Superman's... What's their interpretation of Superman? What's the essential feature uh of the character and and why why are you clicking with it uh tyrone uh so uh, like i guess this is sort of revealing myself here but i'm not the biggest fan of smash uh but when i do play it um i tend to play like more power characters or characters that just have a little bit more grounding uh just because i i think the main hurdle for me with smash is like once i'm knocked off a platform i always have trouble recovering so I've just thrown that out of the out of the window altogether. I usually play like a little Mac or someone who's like really good with close quarters, uh, can grab, can punch and throw. Uh, and for me, it was like, oh, Superman is kind of that little Mac character, at least to me. Um, and yeah, it clicked immediately. And I was like, all right, let's do this. And also, like, I'm a comic book fan and Superman, he means a lot. So <laughs> it just it across the board, it sort of worked for me. Yeah, Superman is a... I would say a legitimate nightmare to play against uh, for some, I, I think, very fairly Superman reasons. Uh, he's considered a tank. The game has actually classes, which is interesting, again, for a for a like platform fighter. Uh, the game has like explicit classes, each with their own like buffs and debuffs. Um, do, is the, is and, like, the, do you think that's just a distinguishing characteristic or is there a sense that 
I mean, Smash is very popular, but like also Smash seems to appeal a lot to Smash fans and also casual. I want, I guess what I'm getting at is like, is that an attempt to try and demystify a bit of like what's happening beneath the surface of these games? If like Multiverses is maybe your first because you yeah. looked at it and want, I want to play as the one that has Superman in it. Yeah, I mean, I think it does do that. I, basically, every character is on the character select screen is listed as their class, mm. uh, which is bruiser, assassin, tank, support, or mage. Um, Bugs Bunny is a mage, which is a fun sentence that I like saying. Um, but is, so is, is support no, it's something we typically see in, I'm like Super Smash ignorant, but like because no. of this game's 2v2 struck or like that, it seems like it's... Yeah. It's pitching itself as 2v2. It's like the way to play the game, but you can play it otherwise. Does that allow it to have certain classes of characters that essentially wouldn't exist in a Smash game because that's yes. not what people would be there for? Okay, yes. that's interesting. Rain Dog is a character who basically should not be able to exist. Who? in a- Rain who? Dog. Rain Dog. Who's Rain Dog? Let me tell you about Rain Dog. Rain Dog <laughs> is the... <laughs> All right, everybody. Hey, come into my... <laughs> come into my come into my space. Let's talk about Rain Dog. Rain, rain dog? dog is the mascot. Google of did not the, help me. Of the no, developers. I'm just getting dogs in the rain images. They're very cute, but I'm not any no, closer. Listen, <laughs> this is also very cute. Trust me, you will like Rain Dog. Wow, they when- put a Tom Waits album in, in multiverses. <laughs> this is Rain Dog. Here, I'm sending. I'm sending an image right now. When Rain Dog. Oh, right, right, right. When Rain Dog, Rain Dog is a dog reindeer hybrid. Uh, when Rain Dog wins a fight, his little feet go pat 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 pat, and it is the cutest fucking thing I've ever seen. It makes me irrationally happy. But Rain Dog's whole thing is that they can tether to their ally, and so if their ally goes off stage, Rain Dog can just pull them back as a way to like basically support your ally. You go, you can be like. All right, you want to chase that person all the way off stage and like do something that will definitely get you killed otherwise? That's fine. Rain Dog's just gonna chill over here and pull you back. For, for um, hey, for someone who's uh, admittedly cannot handle when their character goes off screen and gets knocked off, it sounds like Rain Dog is here to to save the day. <laughs> Rain Dog, Rain Dog rules. Rain Dog also has like a bunch of projectiles. Also, Rain Dog kind of hits like a motherfucker. Like when 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 Rain Dog lands a melee hit on you, you do feel it. Um. So yeah, these classes are, it, it, it's MOBA-esque. I mean, these are literally MOBA classes. This is how League mm. of Legends breaks down its mm. characters uh, one-to-one. And also, that's the game's business model, is the League model, where you have a free character rotation, uh, you have skins for those characters, um, and you know the games are based around giving you free characters. So you're like, well, that guy seems neat. I guess I'll, I'll spend, you know, 3,000 gold, which is the in-game, earned in-game currency to unlock them. And it's like, oh, I like that skin, though, too. Damn. Like, for example, when I first started playing, I was like, I think Arya's kit will really fit with the way that I play this game. And so I ground a little bit as Finn, and then I was like, cool, I'm going to unlock Arya Stark now. Uh, and I've been playing Arya Stark since then. Uh, and she's extremely fun. But yeah, the classes do matter. Uh, both in terms of like their play style, but also in terms of some slight stat modifications. Um, generally, assassins uh, take more damage uh, and get knocked back uh, faster. Um, so they get absolutely owned uh, versus tanks who uh, take less damage and get knocked back less, uh, which means that as someone who plays an assassin, playing against Superman is one of the worst experiences <laughs> I can fathom in a fighting game. It is a goddamn nightmare. So I am curious now for it, it sounds like 
so a lot of the reaction to this has been informed by people just comparing this to Smash. And I, I'm, I'm just curious, like... Well, and also the cynicism, right? Like, of like, oh, like, hey, we're just, you know, right. we got this IP. We're, um, you know, we're going to just... This smash is Dark Universe of- Smash, basically. Yeah, 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 well, like, we've seen this happen before, except that it, like, happened years ago. And this is where you get something like PlayStation All-Stars. A game that people... I don't know if that game actually was any good, but people pine nostalgically for PlayStation All-Stars at this point. Ren, is, is PlayStation All-Stars good? It's it's not I I never fucked with it, but I can say something about mm. multiverses. Okay, multiverses has had already has more staying power than basically anything else released into this genre space. If you go on Steam right now and look at the like concurrent current concurrent players, it was, it was like a head a hundred, like a hundred thousand plus. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. it's like fifty k like right now, uh, like seventy eighty k right now. And if you compare that to the next closest, that is Brawlhalla at nine thousand. Uh, that's 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 brand awareness baby (laughs) (laughs) i will say as well it's the first like smash clone that i like i have a a group chat with a bunch of friends from way back in high school these are dedicated smash players and this is the first time i've seen them like all say we're trying this game out and we're actually enjoying it um and that didn't happen Hmm. with playstation all-stars you know that that didn't happen with any of the other sort of like 2d brawlers at all so that says a lot Mm. Sonic Fox says it is a good fighting game. That wow. means something. Now we, know Ka- Fox- now we know Kato's wrong. <laughs> when Sonic Fox goes, I am playing this game competitively. I think it is worth taking seriously. Mm-hmm. That means something. And they said that like basically the second they played it. Um, so, yes. And Sonic, is, Sonic Fox has been a really good evangelist for like new games that come along and seems to give all of them a fair shot. But then you can tell the difference between ones that they're really like vibing on. And yeah. so that I think that is a... A really interesting sign, especially for a game that, well, it's free to play. It has good brand awareness. It's got some good early buzz. And so the concurrence are, like, interesting, but right. don't necessarily say a lot of, like, what this game will look like mm-hmm. in a year. Lots of free-to-play games have tons of concurrence um, up front. But I think what's, like, most interesting are, like, the conversations, like, happening like, in a in a private text chat of, like, Smash Brothers fans saying, like, eh, you know, uh, especially when there's not going to be a new Smash is essentially competitive only for the next couple of years right like we're going to be in a long dead period before there's new smash stuff coming along and so though this game kind of comes along at a really prime opportunity where people are just i'm glad it's good but it's sort of like the bar is a little bit lower as long as it's interesting for people to just want something else to do but like scratches a similar itch Mm -hmm. and i think the game is interesting i mean like the character level mechanics are all really good like the characterization of like who it feels like you're playing against is stellar like superman for example the thing that irritates me about playing against superman is a very superman thing which is like that motherfucker can just grab you he is (laughs) superman he will pick you up and he will throw you and he can do that while flying and so superman has this one move drives you up a goddamn wall where he flies across screen does a little superman fly and he grabs you and then he punches you up and away and boy, if you want to get killed off stage a thousand times, get hit with that move. And it feels like you're getting hit with a Superman move, which is which is fun. Um, Arya, the character that I play, um, has a backstab mechanic where she doesn't actually do that much damage on her own. But if she's hitting an enemy from behind, then she does a ton of damage really quickly. Mm. Uh, and so it's about like not only getting combos off, but getting combos in such a way where you are staying behind your opponent. Is that another expression of the way this game really leans into like uh, 
2v2 or is Arya built to enable like is it sort of a high skill thing where you need to be able to maneuver around behind them uh or deliver those because i see it being really awesome in a 2v2 where you're like helping like where your teammate is engaging from the front and you are trying to like get those opportunities playing solo feels like a great moment to reveal once again that like wow you do not have the the uh acuity to to get Arya into uh into her office. So I basically play Arya uh, so so far because I don't have like a, a duo's partner to play with. I've mostly been sticking to the the solo game and I play Arya solo, which is a really high risk, high reward and really fun experience. Um she has a really solid damage output if you get her going. Uh but the problem is she has very poor in what's like in platform fighters uh, is called kill potential. Uh, basically, kill potential is describing your ability to knock someone far enough off stage to kill them. Uh, some characters, like LeBron James, have stellar kill potential. LeBron James can kill you at like seventy percent. Got that LeBron is in this game. Yeah, LeBron is here uh, as an Ohioan. <laughs> it makes me sad to say that I do have to kill LeBron James in the video game. Uh, I feel like he I'm brought you a I'm- championship. He brought he brought us a champion. I'm from the LeBron James part of Ohio. I am from the <laughs> LeBron James part. This is sacrilege. However, he must his die. frame data <laughs> is kind of tight. Like he will dunk a basketball on me and send me off stage at like sixty percent. He will kill me so fast because he is a bruiser, and that is what his job is to do: is to just like smack you the fuck around and send you off stage. I will uh, say, also, I don't like think a, we. Uh, I was just gonna say, I, I hope. I, I I want to touch on how much fan service is sort of in this game. Like LeBron's moveset just visually is so funny and so cool. They reference like every meme underneath the sun. And I don't know. I, I think that that goes a long way. And I think that's another mm. piece of the staying power of this game. Wait, like for example, like what? What did give me a, a LeBron meme? So the is, one where the game. I think he's like putting his arms up at, I want to say Kyrie Irving, but I don't know basketball that well. Uh, that okay. meme that was like hot on Twitter for like a week is totally in the game. The fact that all of his moves are dunks and dribbles and he has a basketball that he can like play around with to like, all right, I'll leave this here. And that has damage potential if someone gets near. Do they have, what's the one in the, was it in the finals, Rob? When Jared like, Smith. The, yeah, the, the, like the, like the, where he's looking like he was supposed to pass. I forget the exact. Oh, yeah, I think that might one. be. That's oh, that's his, the one you were talking yeah. about? Okay, great. All right. Okay. Yes. That rules. Kyrie that's would so never good. have done that to no, LeBron. No. <laughs> but, but JR. It was JR. It was JR. You're right. Yeah. Okay. All right. Good. We're, that's that's really. That's, okay. I'm just, I just have rules. one other question that is, is there, is there anything, does, does LeBron ever produce a fashionable handbag at some point and beat anyone with it? Because oh, that's, gosh. that's my other favorite LeBron meme is when he stood up from the press conference and grabbed the, the fancy handbag and peaced out. Uh, that's a, that's a great one. That could, that would probably be an emote, actually. The game is, is still developing its emotes. Uh, yeah. it's, it's getting pretty early in terms of its cosmetics, but I would not be, uh, I would not be surprised if that becomes an emote in the game. Um, and this is this is like him in full space jam mode too, right? Yes. Like, yeah. Yes. Um Yeah, I mean, I am I'm sort of I will I will say like it having a, one of these the sort of unencumbered by the smashness of it mm-hmm. all, I think could be really refreshing too. I am curious. Yeah. Do you remember what Kata was mad about? He didn't like how it felt, if I remember correctly. Um like just like the the act of playing it, 
he uh i want to say he felt it was too floaty or something or like yeah. not that like snappy the way that mm-hmm. uh like smash can be so here's the thing they're right for like the first hour because once you get a feel for what this is doing it is doing something totally different and super exciting uh and like Basically, the floatiness allows for a minutia of control that Smash just basically doesn't outside of top-level play. Top-level players can have the level of control over the character that you can easily have in multiverses. But in multiverses, that is immediately available to everyone. So, like, very slight variations in movement, because you're so floaty, lets you really juke the shit out of people. Like, you Hmm. you can seriously break someone's ankles in this game in a way that feels, like, absolutely delectable. Um, that's why I love playing Arya is because she, her whole thing is like, I'm going to just outmaneuver you so slightly to create an opening and then fuck you over. And the game's floatiness is what allows you to do that so effectively. I think I, I had re- been curious if that's what it was. Yeah, yeah, it was definitely in that. I don't know. He, we essentially had to, if I remember the, the, the conversation, uh, uh, correctly, we were mostly like extract. He was just wanted to, he just like, didn't like it. Didn't really want to talk about it. It was like extract, trying to extract details from him on it was, was pulling teeth. Um, cause he just didn't, uh, just, I don't know, maybe he didn't get enough time or, uh, it just didn't click. Um, but, uh, was basically a complete polar opposite reaction of, mm-hmm. um, the two of you. And I think it's interesting that this game, when we first started hearing about it, reminds me of the, reaction to uh, to the uh, Mario and Rabbids game from Ubisoft, which was mm-hmm. like leaked far ahead of its announcement. And it was just like, oh, well, this seems like a cynical, boring sort of mashup. Like this isn't going to be interesting. And I remember when they showed the first trailer for that, when I went to do the first hands-on at E3 with that, uh, I came away going uh, like, oh, oh shit, this is delightful. Like I may not, I don't really know if I like the aesthetic of this game, but they made something cool as shit. And that's really exciting that, uh, a thing that the entire world was cynical about turns out to be kind of cool. And like, at like the roster for this game leaked like really early and people were just like, all oh, right, of course there's a game of Thrones character. Like doesn't make any sense, but it's going to be in here. Um, I don't know. I, I think it's really, I'm really happy for the developers that like they managed to make a thing that is good enough to have essentially countered all of this unearned cynicism. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. That's, and that's just neat. I'm never going to play this game, <laughs> but like, that's just a cool, it's just a cool thing. This game had so much stacked against it in terms of public perception. And for the two of you to come out, not just like, and it's like better than the the basement level expectations I had. It's like, actually, it's doing things that are genuinely interesting. Uh, and it's good. It's just, that just, I don't know, it just makes me feel good. Yeah. And I love the idea of it becoming like a subgenre of the fighting space. I don't know. Like we had the Nicktoons one a few months ago that didn't really create too much of a splash. Right. Um, right. There's this one. It's like, okay, cool. We got a thing going and we're long overdue for there being another smash alternative that actually takes off. Mm-hmm. Cause that one, if I recall correctly, people were excited for the, like the characters were a little more upfront, exciting for people's nostalgia memes, things like that. A lot of that comes out of that like nineties, early two thousands era of like Nickelodeon stuff. But then it sounds like the game just wasn't very fun to play. Um, so it kind of had no staying power. Also, it, they charge full price for it, right? They charge yeah, full price, really and messy. the roster was really small, too. That was, like, a big issue, I know. Um, I, I know they've, like, patched certain things in. Like, they added voice acting and, and music or something like that since launch. But I don't know. It, it didn't seem like it launched with, like, this is a continuous thing. We're going to support the same way this one did. Uh, right. So that might have been a little bit more weird up front for, for fans. 
did they make it any less ugly with the patches? <laughs> did that, did they, hey, did they, did they, did they fix, did they fix that? Cause that, oh boy, looking at that game, uh, does not feel stellar on the eyes. Very um, true. Also, I'm curious, do you have a favorite character to play alongside? Um, not really, because I've been playing completely with randos. I know it has crossplay, uh, but I didn't get to link up with any of my friends this weekend. So just been playing with randos. A lot of folks either picking LeBron or Superman. So two Superman, you would love that. <laughs> but, I, would, uh, yeah. I would uninstall. <laughs> uh, what about you? So, who, who so the you meta been? is a work in progress, uh, <laughs> let, let us say. Um. Hey, can I inject mm -hmm. some toxic negativity into Please. the midst of all this positivity? Yeah. So have a heated I gamer spent, moment. <laughs> so yeah, I uh, I was like, you know what, you know what game looks cute? Baron Breakfast. Who doesn't want to be a little bear? Why are you doing this? What's gonna happen? What are you doing? <laughs> what do you mean? I don't know. Keep going. I mean, who doesn't want to be a little bear? Running an inn for people mm -hmm. like you and your woodland friends, just like opening a bed and breakfast and people come in and, you know, you you serve them. They they come and enjoy your your cute little hotel. You decorate it so they'll be happier. All that stuff. Uh, and it's got cute little cartoon art style, uh, et cetera. Uh, and so I was like, I, I will open my heart to this thing. This sounds this sounds like fun. <laughs> Rob is ready to love. I am. I was. Uh, regrettably, I was taken aback by how irritating I found that game. Uh, it is like there's kind of two angles that that that, that where the, where this game runs into real issues. Uh, the first is. So Baron Breakfast, the, the, the idea is that for whatever reason, humans haven't been seen in your forest for a while, and then they start coming back. And your little bear, uh, Hank, finds basically, imagine if Airbnb had little like animatronic kiosks that effectively uh, put you in hock to airbnb immediately just from like interacting with it and turned you into an airbnb host so your your little bear finds uh one of these and for lack of anything better to do he's kind, he's kind of bored he's just like sure i will start fixing up this inn uh and and like play host to these humans and the end you know so in addition to wandering this little cartoon wilderness and picking up crafting items off the ground you go to a little build mode, uh, by an inn, and then you like lay out your little rooms. You put little, uh, decorations in them. Very, uh, very, very standard stuff. I, I would say in terms of how it all clicks together, it's much more, um, like, I don't have enough frame of reference, but like, if you're thinking the Sims, that's not really it. Uh, the way it's sort of done in a 2D schematic fashion is a little more like Prison Architect, mm -hmm. uh, where it's like drag the space and you built the room and then and then stock it with uh, like accoutrement. And the problem is that there's just nothing here as far as like you might be thinking. So it's like it's sort of a light management game. It's so light as to not exist. Mm -hmm. I, I, I thought I read it doesn't really have a failure state, right? 
there's like you can just keep going. Yeah, and that's and 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 Pat, that's not like I I do think like I I do wish there were like ways it was pushing back on you, but I I don't think it's just that it lacks a failure state. It also doesn't have a compelling like uh chain of crafting or mm. any sort of like neither it, it doesn't really have a success state either. Like basically, humans show up, and if you meet the raw like numerical requirements, they expect. Comfort and decoration are the two are the two things that they expect, but you know what they expect coming in. It's like I want an eight comfort and a six decoration. If you're if your in has that, they're going to show up and they're going to be really happy, and so you will get the most money. You'll get a five star review, etc. Um, and that's that's kind of it. Like hmm. there's no. There's no sense of like, oh, this is a difficult to please customer. It'll be difficult, like making this person happy, or uh, I don't know what this customer wants. It's pretty much all there on the surface. Uh, and the way the game advances is just everything is gated behind, okay, well, great. Now you've got your in running. Uh, so now to unlock the next chapter of the story, let's say. You just have to book, uh, like, you know, four guests or something. You have to serve four guests in your inn. The game has a day-night cycle. And it will let you skip through the night. Your bear can go to sleep. But sleepy time is only about a third, maybe even only a quarter of the entire day-night cycle. The rest of the time, you have to be awake. And there's nothing to do. Yeah, I'm noticing like, the phrase "you have to be awake" is is giving me some <laughs> some dark implications. I did. It was. This is. There are podcast games, and then there are games that, like, I think it is. It would be cruel to make someone play it without a podcast or something <laughs> interesting on television, uh, because the game is so aggressively boring mm-hmm. that, like, you mean cozy, Rob? That I was so I was like, man, this is, I'll bet this is going to be cozy. No, no, just endless delay. Um, I mean, but it, it, I, I wonder, does that in some ways like as that cozy is almost sort of like a genre at the, like at this point, um, more than than just an aesthetic uh, or a vibe. But I do wonder if like that creates sometimes a fundamental tension between like, well, what is what are we doing here? Mm-hmm. Like, why are we playing? Um, and I, I wonder if that is what you're, you know, I'm looking at like the screenshots and trailers like, Ooh, like not for me, but like very appealing could see why like this would fall in line for somebody that likes this style of, of, you know, sort of management thing. But, you know, I, I, well, I guess what I can't tell is, uh, is this a failure on the game's part or is it succeeding at exactly what it's attempting to do? And what you're realizing is like, (laughs) I don't need to be this cozy. No. So I, I think. The the thing is, like, I actually think my expectations were pretty reasonable for this. Mm-hmm. It's just, I don't think, I don't think the game understands that fun is different than cozy. Mm-hmm. It has to be fun and cozy. It has to be cozy and something. And instead, it's just kind of cozy. And, like, I'll give you an example of... This is like really an art style, like forward project. And so one one area where this game 
like talking about those endless waiting periods where it's just like I need to sit here and I need to wait for this next like round of guests to cycle through so the next thing will unlock and I can I can move on. So that wouldn't be so bad if there was something interesting to watch, right? Like I think a lot of us, like one of the fun of like management games is you can sort of watch the simulation run. Like what are those Sims getting up to? What are these characters up to? How are they, how are they hanging out? That's not what guests do here. Guests are represented basically just by little like AI animations that don't do anything. They aren't wandering around like finding activities. There's no sense of like voyeuristic, like, wow, they're, they're interacting with stuff at the end. They're having fun. They will show up. They wander over to the end. They, ch- they do a little check in animation and then they just sort of walk from their bed outside and they're like forest. Bleh, I make gross out faces. Cause I saw something unappealing and then they walk back in near like building and they hop back in bed at all of like, two in the afternoon they sleep for like three hours and then they get back up and they wander around the forest some more and don't do anything and that's all you have to watch so they're boring and bitchy about about your about your cool forest environment where they see gross things and then immediately go to bed yeah but but also ren you would think if they're seeing gross things that would be bad right if they're making little faces that's probably not good nope doesn't matter uh, because what they're not doing is going at at your inn. They're just grossed out by nature. And so they will still give you the five-star review because you hit the prereqs for their visit. And that was it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, all this game is nothing but downtime. And I think the aim was like, oh, well, it'll be a, it'll be a chill, cozy game. Uh, like, very, very low stress. But the problem is if nothing is happening and there's nothing interesting to do or watch, mm-hmm. it's actually really stressful because you're like, I just want to get on to the next thing. I want to meet the new, the next system. I want to do something else. And it just is, is parceling the stuff out. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, yeah. I was going to say, there's a huge difference between comfort and stagnation, and this game does not seem to understand that. No, and I, I was thinking a lot about like, it's it's like it's overcorrecting from the mm-hmm. toughest parts of like Stardew Valley, where Stardew Valley is it has a very chill vibe, but also you can fill those days. That clock cycle, like you gotta talk to people, like you opportunities open and close. Uh you, you gotta get out there and like make your little circuit uh real efficiently in, in Stardew. Um, not that it's a huge deal if you don't, but like you're kind of curious what you, you you want to take part in the life of the village and you want to you want to have a good hang out with your little village friends. There's none of that in this. It's just sort of a static environment where nothing changes. You can go talk to your friends, even if they're asleep in the middle of the night and they're like they will give you their little canned dialogue and nothing nothing happens mm-hmm. uh and and so like baron breakfast ended up being I, I should also mention the the other angle of this is the airbnb aspect it's trying to be like cutely cutely anti-capitalist mm-hmm. but it's also really milk toast in that regard too right mm-hmm. where it's like haha boy airbnb sure is a scam uh boy money huh who needs it you probably don't you're a forest creature and that's it that's the humor is like all little bears and uh your little 
bird pal and the raccoon you hang out with and the, the fox everyone's like i don't get why this thing's trying to get you know get us to do all this for money we're animals we don't need money and that's it that's 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 its message about like um you know I, how the the absurdity and ridiculousness of like this form of gig economy capitalism and that's all fine but again it's not an interesting observation or story and it's just not there's no bite to any of it uh and and so you're again you're you're kind of sitting there being like yeah i I know airbnb sucks yeah so why patty you mentioned earlier like you you hit a question like why am i doing this right in this game, as you're sitting there just waiting for the clock to run, <laughs> you're, you sit back there. I'm like, and this is this is me over the weekend. I'm like, I'm a fucking bear. I don't need to run this shit. I don't need to be sit like I do not need to be like just clock watching, waiting for my Airbnb customers to like fuck off so I can get in the next load. Like my bear doesn't need this, and you know what? I don't need this either. Like neither of us needs to spend our time doing this. There's no, there is no impetus. There's no stakes for this. And so I'm just gonna bounce. And, and, I, think, like, and, and I think that's like the uh, cozy does not in the same way that Ren was saying before, like, like cozy doesn't mean lack of stakes. Like mm-hmm. those can, like those two things don't have to necessarily negate one another. I'm a little surprised this game isn't early access. I like, because a lot of the uh, issues you're talking about, sound like the kinds of like hey here's the basic structure of what we're going for we're missing a bunch would have caught this right we're missing a bunch well and also it's like we're missing a bunch of interactions we're going to fill in those interactions based on what people tell us what kinds of interactions would you want because like it's if you're if you're building instead of systems and interactions that are meant to like i don't know like be comforting and like just feel good be kind of an atmosphere game that you're well listening to a podcast or watching a tv show um like a lot of these games slot into um the, yeah, this game is not an early access. And so as a result of that, it feels a bit of like a cell phone because like, hey, people are just more forgiving when it's like, hey, here's what we got so far. Help us figure out the rest. Um, and this game, you know, may get patched and, and may get, a, a, you know, some of these things that you're you're hoping to see more of in the game. But people are just far less likely to give a game a second chance if it's like, you know, hey, this is it. The game's done. Here's what it is. It's like, OK, well, this isn't, this isn't what I want from it. Um, I, I was talking to. Uh, Gita before the show and I was talking about this game and she asked this is sort of like taking its cues from mobile game design and I think kind of it is but in a mobile game all these delays would exist to fire up the exploitative ass like hey do you want do you want to skip forward to the part where all these people have come through your inn why don't you just pay a little right. money and this this timer can fill up but th- that's not how this game rolls which is good but then there's also it. it's like it's got these like sit around and wait mechanics that don't make any sense here. I, I don't know if this game has enough substance to it to be like fun for me under any circumstances, but I'd be very mm. curious to try it. The second they introduce a little button that's like skipped the next day, mm. like this, the instant I can just be like, you know what? Let's I don't need to wander around and see my woodland creature friends. They 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 don't have anything for me. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go to the next thing. Um, mm. That might be fun, but instead, right now, yeah, it is just one of the most like high time investment games 
I've seen in ages for like Mm -hmm. no payoff, like nothing to do. Uh, So that was like disappointing because I was feeling like, yeah, it's it's been kind of a stir crazy hot summer. And so the idea of like virtually wandering the woods and like making cute little spaces fun. I was like, I'm my heart is open to that. And now I'm playing that game. The characters start talking about the forest fire that blew through here and like sort of was their apocalypse. And I'm like, man, I hope it comes back. (laughs) Oh, my God. The I want to kill Batman's parents again of of Baron Breakfast. Very dark sided episode, guys. <laughs> um, actually, you know, turn that like this wasn't a planned segue, but the the mention of like the sort of mobile game stuff. I know you've been sort of covering the conversation around Diablo Immortal mm-hmm. a little bit, and one of the pieces you wrote for us was about. Sort of the 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 state of that game and how it reflects on the industry's track record of saying like we can self regulate on on all these fronts mm-hmm. and the fact that like in Europe it sounds like they're out of road for that like that that they're they're not getting any more they're not getting any more uh, string to play that out but here in the land of laissez faire it's still kind of like <laughs> you're on your honor system and, I, and I'm curious if you just Talk to us sort of about the, not just like the, the state of Diablo Immortal, uh, as far as we can tell, but like what it's kind of revealing about how we're regulating quality of life uh, in, in games like this. Sure. Um, so yeah, Diablo Immortal uh, is a game that I think it's probably the most high profile example of how bad microtransactions can be. Um, and like you, like you said, the, the piece that I wrote was a little bit more focused on, you know, the games industry self-regulating itself. Um, ESRB exists for that reason. Um, when it comes to how developers are like, you know, monetizing a lot of their game mechanics, like that's kind of just been how they handle it. It's just like, all right, well, they can figure this out. Um, you know, self-regulation is a thing. But yeah, that game, it, it's total bullshit. Like you, I put in a bunch of hours into it and you have to, spend once you get to the end game i I, me personally at least spent a dollar uh when i actually played through it uh but yeah if you want to compete or what did you spend the the dollar on uh it was like the very first thing they asked me i'm completely blanking on what it might have been i think it was just like a chest with some like some basic items in it (laughs) It Uh, teach you how to spend a dollar (laughs) so i was like why not like i'm playing it for this article you got me. Like I'll I'll buy in at least that one buck. Um, but yeah, uh, getting back to to the point of the story, um, you know, it, it's the experts I spoke to were basically saying, you know, like this could be the beginning of folks being like, maybe we don't leave this to them. Uh, <laughs> we don't leave this to the industry to figure out uh, when it when it comes to, you know, how they're monetizing a player base. Um, right, and you said like there's some places, there's some markets where like this game and others like it don't can't even operate because like there are national laws in place about uh, ethical design or yeah, like there were two, two countries. I think that Diablo Immortal Blizzard didn't explain, like they had some Weasley way of explaining why they didn't launch in two markets that explicitly had sort of like anti loot box uh, legislation or, mm-hmm. or, or, or regulation. Um, but it was very clear. It's like, well, we're just not going to make much money over there. So, uh, Hmm. Whoops. Just don't hit that check mark. Well, that's, and, and that's kind of thing. I do. I, I do wonder 
long term, I'm I'm kind of curious if this ends up driving more regulation of this stuff because it sounds like the conversation, as as often the case, like over over in Europe, like the conversation is more advanced in terms of like regulators being aware of what's happening in these spaces and the risks it poses and then having sort of more of a tradition of intervening in, in those in those areas but it sounds like in europe there's increasingly less uh patience for for publishers like rolling out this kind of design and i do kind of wonder like long term if they kind of don't end up killing the golden goose over here stateside as well just because there's limits to how blatant you can make this uh and how explicitly you can go whale hunting effectively um yeah it seems like like europe just has a a, a clear understanding of how close this is to gamb- to gambling uh whereas the us I, I don't know what the disconnect is there between our leaders and seeing what this is on its on its face uh but that's sort of the main disconnect is over there they're like this is gambling and if you play diablo immortal you're paying if you're really buying into it the way that they intend you to, you're paying for a chance of a chance to get like decent items and stuff, which is insane. Um, like at least most, you know, microtransactions that I've like paid into in the past, it's like, all right, I'm paying for something I know I'm going to get, not for like maybe I'll get a thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, like a multiverses, right? Like, or, or, you know, Riot announcing that their uh, upcoming 2D fighter project L. You know, it's going to be free to play and 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 they're just not, you know, they're going to go down a different route in terms of how they make their money back on on these games. But uh, stuff like that or, you know, even like Fortnite, one of the biggest games around, right, is like, well, OK, like I get a skin and then I get to be Fortnite Superman or whatever. Like it at least feels like a transaction that makes sense. And like I give you the money, I get the thing. And that's just like that's the fundamental disconnect with these is. Look, I, I've gambled before. It is funny to like give the money and like wonder what the thing is. Like, th- go walk down a toy aisle. Like, like, like the uh, the blind box phenomenon is like so pervasive amongst kids right now. There are whole I like my child currently is in to a thing called mini brands. Which, if you are unaware of mini brands, would you like to what? have Rob? Would you like the opportunity? To purchase a little orb that you can open and inside of that orb will be tiny versions of other things you could buy. Like wait. No, yes. I just want the orb. <laughs> yes. I just wanna I just wanna I just wanna go around buying orbs. Why does it have to have a why does it have to have a capitalism inside? Let now, me buy let me just buy an orb. Now is it now is it cute to get the little ketchup bottle? Yes. And my daughter is obsessed with tiny things, and that's why she thinks it's cool. But it is like it makes me feel so gross every time <laughs> we walk down the aisle. She now only buys it with her money, like that she gets from chores and stuff like that. So hey, hey, you wanna spend eight dollars on getting the tiny ketchup bottle? It admittedly looks pretty cute. Uh, that's 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 your prerogative. Yeah, mini brands like this sort of thing. Like it's like this will never get regulated, but it feels just as gross to me that my kid is like paying eight dollars for a blind box. I mean, you know, blind boxes are everywhere, but like blind boxes, they're themselves like a form of child gambling that we've just laundered in. It's very cute because there's a bunch of TikTok videos of people uh, doing it themselves. But like, not it to feels, be all it, in my day and shit, but like. <laughs> 
you just walk down and be like, hey, cool micro machine box. I like what's in that. You buy the micro machines. No, not anymore. Now you would you would get it. You would hope that you have a one in 600 chance at the micro machine that you want, Rob. That's Fuck. that's that's where we're at. Oh, my now. God. I mean, like this has always existed. You got those fucking crank machines uh, yes, where, you, yes. where you get the little guy. But now it's eight. Well, now it's eight dollars and like branded in a, in, in a different kind of branded. Uh, and, and and it's you know to to the point that we're you know it's like you know you have places like Europe they're at least like thinking about what are the what are the deeper implications of like this sort of pervasive psychological based game design um should we uh you know there should be like I agree there should be barriers in place for it that oh, doesn't damn, these seem, things like, are cute as hell though I know right Shit. they are they are so they I are. ended up over on Etsy and people sell like like oh, either God. making or like reselling this shit yes but I'm like. You can make the most like banging playset imaginable here. So that is what like, my daughter is slowly in the midst of trying to do. Is like wants you to, have your uh, favorite cereals in your dollhouse. Yes, yes, and there is something again. Yeah, the the, the, the like capitalist undertones of that of like buying a mini version of a product you can you can other you you can also buy is is upsetting. But yes, having the little Cheerios box is also cool as shit. It's like the detail on them is pretty well done. <laughs> They got you. They They fully have your ass. Yes, I agree. I agree. Yeah. I mean, I, to uh, be fair, like just really quickly about the Evil Immortal. Um, the game itself, I think, is super fun. Um, and I've yeah. told almost everyone that I've spoke to about the story. Like, I think it's worth playing if you are a fan of the series. Like, obviously, but like also, it's a nice little like onboarding thing. So actually, that's one one question I had. You mentioned that like. You kind of got to end game and you, you hadn't like needed to pay anything in. And so that's that's one part of this that I'm, that I'm a little bit curious about, because so it sounds like if you want to be like. If if you're concerned about like your overall like power level and such, then, yeah, you're going to have to start paying in. Right. But in terms of not out of the box, but like out of the download. You you've just kind of got a good Diablo game, basically. Um, and I completely it's completely valid that you know most folks they play it to get to the end game to like get their character to be the most powerful they can get him to be or her. Like it, it, that's completely fine. But I think for someone who's super casual and you just want to play Diablo on your phone, it's a really good Diablo game. It's pretty fun. Uh, the feedback loops, the audio, the cues, like the equipping stuff that you get after a drop, like it's super fun mechanically. Um, and I don't think. I think a lot of that got lost, uh, and completely fair that it got lost. But I don't know. I I enjoyed what I played. Uh, I got a couple of my friends to play it as well, and they were like, "Yeah, this is pretty solid." And I think, like, as a piece of advertising for Diablo Four, it's fantastic. Like after playing this one, I was like, "Well, I'll be playing Four as soon as it comes out because I want more of this." That won't also ask me to, you know, pay in a thousand dollars to get a decent piece of loot. I mean, that was, that was, so I, I played half, three quarters of the game and then just for some reason dropped it, not for any particular reason. Um, and same thing, didn't pay a dime, was having like, hey, all the endorphin hits that I get from Diablo of like the whoosh, 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 that, you know, is like everything drops out of a, a chest was really delightful. Mm-hmm. And I thought like the interface is really well done. My takeaway from it was exactly the same as you. Wow, this makes me really excited to play. Diablo 4, but also 
man, they spent a lot of time making a really good way to play Diablo and then put in a mediocre version of that Diablo game because they became obsessed with building it around the monetization Mm -hmm. that they wanted for the long term. And so they the monetization made a really brilliantly designed game a lot worse Mm -hmm. because they prioritized the financial part of the equation after essentially solving how do you do Diablo and make it feel really good on a mobile platform. Like They did it. And then this game should be much better. Like it does what you're saying. It's like it is totally serviceable, feels like a, a perfectly adequate mobile Diablo game. But the moment you start scratching at it, you're like, yeah, but they could have made like a really good one. Like they could have made like a best in class Diablo game that felt like it could stand next to Diablo 4 or something like that, even if you were getting a slightly different, more streamlined experience. And they actively chose not to do that because essentially what they did was. How do we smuggle, like, they, they they made a Diablo game and then, you know, put the monetization on top. And it just, it just it kind of, it, it doesn't ruin it, but it actively makes the game worse in a way that is 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 pretty upsetting uh, as, like, a fan of the series who is, like, doesn't know when Diablo 4 is coming. Like, that game could be delayed for another two years. And it's like, well, I guess I could play this adequate but highly flawed and ethically questionable <laughs> version of Diablo when it's like, Boy, if I get, you know, it's the the classic. I'd rather have just given them $60 for, like, a better version of this game. Honestly, um, they, they should have they just sold this flat out for, like, a, a premium price. I think a lot of people would have picked it up. I don't know if I would have, but, like, yeah, like, charge but, 20 30 bucks, And I think right. some people would have bought in because it's well designed. But that's the, the, I think, where this, so much of the stuff points to just the inherent, nastiness of a lot of like the mobile or free-to-play business model which is that having talked to developers in that area like it's sort of well known that the overwhelming i don't know maybe this has changed but like when i when i last had these conversations uh a huge amount of their revenue really did depend on the whales right that it was the people who are uh high dollar value players uh, who just keep feeding in that their their bread and butter their bread and butter is not is not people who do the odd microtransaction here and there. It is the people who are like just keep feeding into the system uh, again and again to to get new stuff. And I think a lot of developers in that space, uh, and to, to some degree, like the stereotype may hold true. A lot of times what you're talking about like with a, with a whale is someone with like a ton of money and this is their hobby, right? And they will just sort of happily like like dump into it. And, that, and that's the story where you can tell ourselves like this is kind of this is this is harmless, right? So what if some rich person just wants to completely like blow thousands a week on this thing? Cool. It doesn't affect their life. They're having fun. The problem is also, though, that like, you know, your program doesn't know the difference between someone in that in that situation and somebody who's got like <laughs> like so like addiction issues or impulse control issues who is like well i'm out of money for this game but my credit card still has room and like the minute your system sort of enables that where it's like okay well now the game kind of feeds on people getting on this treadmill and engaging with it in that way uh if you're encouraging people who can't do that and and really shouldn't be doing that and and really can't do it with any sort of like control over it or uh like being fully cognizant of the costs and benefits 
then what you're doing is kind of unethical. Um, it's also not fucking fun. Like, yeah. I, 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 as someone that has strong, probably if you listen to the, these podcasts, you, I have too much impulse control. Like I should, I should arguably loosen up. Uh, what you fundamentally find is that it, it, it's like working on both ends. Rob is like, yes, like it, it, it can be exploiting folks who are prone to being exploited. And also for people that aren't prone to be exploited, it's fucking boring and not fun. Like it's, you've made the game. No, I will not give you a dollar. All right. Well, you're going to have a pretty worse experience. if You won't give us any money. I was like, well, great. We're at a standstill game. Like this, this sucks for you and for me. But if you're kind of sitting there casting lines out, hoping that someone's just going to be like, yeah, give me, give me, I need to unlock, unlock them. Then like, then it gets then it gets real dicey. Like that's that's what I find alarming is where the fun little game can be a oh you can really like get lost in in the frenzy and come out of it and be like wow I've really fucked up. I also think it's worth noting that like this design structure isn't just it is not just a thing that preys upon vulnerable people or is like oriented around like the, the business model is not just oh let's make a thing that whales will buy into, right? Because that is in and of itself already shitty. But the structure of these business models is to produce them, right? That is the that is why it is a good Diablo game. Eventually it becomes, that is why it's a good Diablo game. It becomes a structure through which you can produce a gambling addiction, right? That is the, that is the insidious aspect. It is not just an outlet for a problem. It is a thing that actively encourages the development of a problem. Uh, and I think that is where it becomes so deeply uncomfortable because the other thing is that like the barrier to entry for is this going to cause someone a problem for for example like downloading a mobile game on your phone and going physically to a casino where you are spending a hundred dollars at a table those are wildly different barriers to entry and those wildly different barriers to entry will lead to the development of two of of problems at a way quicker rate uh, even if one did not exist previously and i think that's where like yeah, the deep problem and deep fault with the entire genre is, or like no, the, entire like genre, the, the entire practice. No, it's it's true. Like the, you, you almost see like the the business school case for it is accessing customers who would never would never otherwise take part in in activity like this, but they would play Diablo. Uh, whereas there's a lot of people who would be sort of kept safe from a gambling addiction by sheer virtue of the fact that it ain't fun to show up to a casino and get cleared out within within 20 minutes and you're like well i'm done uh but it's a slightly different matter with uh with a mobile game right and it's also i mean the way these systems work is they're designed to train your brain over time this is why like even if you say oh genshin is a relatively relatively uh not bad model it still is because the structure of the model is such that every single time you want to get a new character even if you're not putting money into the system, you are reminded, hey, you can put money into the system, by the way. It's the same screen. And so regardless of whether or not you're doing it, it is training the behavior over time. And like it, it is a deeply insidious model in all of its like variations. It's also the case that there are like so many actors who could step in to uh, make yeah. this better. Like for Apple, for example, a company that has extremely strong opinions on what the definition of a video game is and what video games are allowed to do as a form on their platforms, you know, games like Papers, Please and others having difficulty getting released. 
mm-hmm. on Apple platforms because they have like the adult content or quote unquote adult content that you, that can be rented on an iTunes store in a movie cannot be represented in a video game. Um, Apple could just as easily say these forms of monetization are not allowed. And this is true for Google as well. These forms of monetization are not allowed on our platforms. We find them to be, especially coming like Apple, like, we're family friendly. Dude, like these these forms of monetization are not family friendly. Um, and they they could knock that stuff out, except that like uh, one of Apple's like biggest revenue generators are video games on their platform. The biggest revenue generators in video games on their platform are free to play games that operate in this space. And so there are there's a lot of fingers to be pointed all the way down. Um, and like yes, I I wish governments, the U.S. government, would do more about it. But in in a country in which we are often frequently relying on corporate institutions to do that work for us as we beg for a little regulatory treat, uh, like companies like Apple shouldn't be like they are they are implicated just as much because they're the ones that set the guidelines on what can be. They run all the transactions. And if they didn't want these transactions, they could say, don't do it. And all the companies would have to comply. There's this notion of regulation as being like inherently paternalistic or something, and I think it is at, at its most helpful. I think one thing that good regulation does is it simply takes decisions out of people's hands who otherwise could not bring themselves to make good ones, right? right. And I think that's like true businesses where if your business is printing money off transactions like this, I understand. Your business is never going, you're never going to be like, and we're not going to make these millions of dollars that will have implications for people's bottom lines. And it will have implications for like, you know, people getting hired and all that. I understand, which is why a regulatory body needs to step in and be like, guess what? You're not going to be losing out on business to anyone else because no one's going to be able to do this shit, right? Like it's going to be sort of blanket controlled uh, across the board. Um, But yeah, that's just not. The United States is sort of uniquely constructed uh, to allow businesses to skin uh, skin people alive. And that's that's kind of the model in just sector after sector. Um, Hey, speaking of which, it's time for ads. We're going to take a little break. Back after this. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Patrick. Yeah. Now that we're back. Oh, okay, we're back. I understand you are continuing to feed that little neon white habit. Ah, man. Okay. So, yes, neon white. Bane of my existence. So, uh, you know, I lost uh, 
this game's long. If you are trying to do these ace medals and get all the gifts, and I eventually, I hit mission nine. There, I think there are 10 missions. There are 100 levels. I kept, when it dawned upon me, Ren, that every time I was hitting a gold medal and I was earning a level, and I was like, oh, I really am going to have to get to level one. Like, okay, there's mm, the implications of how long it's taking me to beat this game. I had definitely had not fully processed. But I've been playing this game on a Steam Deck. Um, I've put in like 18-ish hours. I'm like eight-tenths through the game. I've, I'm in like kind of the final sprint. Um, and it's been like, it runs really well on the Steam Deck. It's also on Switch. So like, you know, you can be interchangeable, interchangeable there in terms of how you think about them. But um, it is a game that sings on mouse and keyboard, but is yeah. it works just fine on controller until until a certain point is what I've is what I've discovered when I made it to mission nine um I spent 45 minutes trying to hit like usually when I get into a level takes me less than five minutes to get the gold and then to get the the ace medal it's like another five to ten minutes on, on, on average um so then you can see how a whole mission of like 10 10 levels would take you you know, 90 minutes, two hours. And you can see how I get to 15 to 20 over the course of 10 missions. But I hit a roadblock where I was just, I had this moment where I I was like, I nailed the run. I was like, this is it. Give me that ace medal. And I was three seconds behind. And I like put the steam deck down after like 45 minutes. It was like, (sighs) okay, maybe I'm just not good enough. That's okay. That's fine. Like I can accept that, but it's a bummer given that I've been holding myself to this sort of expectation like i'm just gonna hit that ace medal get that gift move on to the next one cycle continues and i said well why don't i give it a shot i'll give it a shot on mouse and keyboard and see if like that changes things like fucking <laughs> immediately like get the ace medal starting to do other levels getting the ace medal without doing the shortcut um and uh so i steam steam deck uh is, uh, is still my best friend but not for for not for neon white and it was just there are very few instances as someone that prefers a controller where I find myself, I will, I have to switch to the mouse and keyboard in order to enjoy the experience. This happened last year with Boomerang X, a game that I played on, I think, Switch. And within like minutes was like, I do not like, I don't have the precision I need to play this game the way I want to. And immediately switched to PC and like it fixed all of my issues and I fell in love with that game. Uh and yeah, white, I was fine for most of the game and then found myself having to switch to, to mouse and keyboard because I'm not usually that finicky about inputs and I can just sort of deal. Uh, but and the convenience of being able to play that game on a couch while my kids are watching television is paramount. But I have now I've now given up the ghost on on, on the end white. Mm-hmm. I just like the keyboard is the only way I'm going to stick to uh, what I've been trying to do in that game. And it's just wild because it just doesn't happen to me very often, but it but it happened to me here. So I have a little something happened to me too, Pat. Yeah, do you want to explain what you 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 told me in a message earlier today? You okay, yeah. Rob? Mm, well, all right. So I mean, Rob's Rob is okay, but yeah. one could say I'm thriving. Sorry, can I ask a can I ask a a, a quick follow up? Uh, are you well? Uh, yes, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> is okay. well the same as thriving? I don't know about that, Rob. Rob. I'm thriving with wellness. Mm. Uh, so. Sure. I was having a little crisis of faith with the racing wheel situation here. Uh, I was I was like, man, I, I don't even know if I'd like having a racing wheel anymore. Who needs this shit? It's too much. It's too much stuff to set up. I'd much rather just play with a little controller on a console and just keep things simple. 
this is all this is all miserable. But then people were messaging me after hearing the podcast last week and and they sort of reached out and they were like, you know, you should really consider one of those wheel stands. And if you're not familiar with these, they are like they're just little like frames, like a little like a little like a little tr- like you know how your grandparents might have had like a little TV tray? Uh it's like that, but for having a sim racing setup that you can just like scooch up to your couch and you can mount the pedals to it, you can mount the racing wheel to it. And uh so rather than end my friendship with the racing wheel over the sheer like irritation of having to unhook it and hook it back up, all this stuff, uh instead I bought one of those frames. And it's coming here next week so that now I can have a permanent setup, but it folds. It folds, Pat. I see you shaking your head. You're like, this is a bad idea. No, it folds up like one of those TV trays uh-huh, where uh-huh. you how, how many times are you going to fold it? Can you, t- can you message me every time you fold it? There's a possibility. I feel, I feel like what you are doing here is you bought a thing that folds so you can tell yourself it folds and you are never going to fold it. Uh, I would also like to make a secondary request. If you send Patrick a text every time you fold it, will you send me a text every time MK folds it? <laughs> so, <laughs> I will say there's one little thing, which is, yeah, it folds. I don't know how it's going to fold if the pedals are just mounted there permanently. Yeah, so it seems those are like interesting questions. You'd have to dismount at least part of it. Um, yeah. And also uh, one final one. Uh, could you also text the full group chat every time that Mina bumps it and the whole thing kind of collapses on you like a. <laughs> That's a like, good point. That like a, a fucked point. up puzzle box. That is the way of my life right now. This Where's morning all my pots folds? and pans fell out of the ceiling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a out little bar where I was hanging pots and pans. And mm-hmm. I guess I might have just put too much on that bar because while I was getting dressed this morning, it fell out of the ceiling. And so now I have nowhere to hang the pots and pans. Um, so that's that's irritation. So, yeah, I can absolutely. Yeah, I'll bet you Mina destroys my racing wheel in all this uh, <laughs> by, by knocking this thing over. But while I have it, I think it's going to be a real improvement because instead of having this mounted on my desk, you know, and I'll be able to sit back with my little tray and play racing games next to my desk um with a with a better layout and i can pull it up while i'm on the couch so i can play gran turismo and like feel like i'm actually in a car um and that'll be fix it you're not gonna run into any walls now rob yeah i think i'm i'm really gonna be i'm gonna be an absolute driving ace uh with this with this whole setup so uh that is that that is me living my best life um, and I know it was a good decision because it is a decision I made at one thirty in the morning while buying DVDs. No, dog, no. I, so I went to BestBuy.com because I had need- a whole conversation about impulse control and then immediately transitioned to this segment. <laughs> it's fine. I can control it. Uh-huh. So yeah. I went to BestBuy.com because I was like, well, I need a copy, a Blu-ray copy of Michael Mann's Ali. And then I was like, the Mission Impossible 4Ks seem like a fun thing to have. I will buy those as well. <laughs> and then I was like, maybe a racing wheel holder would be good. Why and then just, I, we talk, we've talked about doing Mission Impossible like podcast at some point. Why wouldn't you just wait? And then you could probably even expense it. 
if you'd done that. Oh yeah, we so um hey Manuel, <laughs> we're planning on doing a Mission Impossible podcast series. So if you get but those movies don't come out till next summer, so we it's okay, we had to punt things till the spring. Shit, maybe I can't expense it with the state this of things is, advice. This is the Rob Zachney equivalent of matching with your ex on a dating app at twelve thirty in the morning. <laughs> Just, just the most toxic version of yourself. Just being like, mm, what's the dumbest shit I could do right now? <laughs> with lesbians, it's texting your ex. With Rob Zachney's, it's buying a racing wheel. Yep. I, well, the people who also bought this, I bought Mission Impossible 4K. Look, I think when all this stuff gets here next week, I'm going to feel really good about these decisions. Um, and you're all, I'm going to laugh at you because you're going to be uh, yeah. like, Rob, you have, such, me, a, Rob, you have such, me. A, you have such a great racing game set up and boy, I'll bet mission impossible three, uh, is pretty extraordinary in 4k, huh? And I'll be like, it sure is. <laughs> you can, you can see the, you, you can see Philip Seymour Hoffman just chew through the scenery. Like you've never seen it before. Uh, so hey, if no one has ever watched the intro to mission impossible three, that uh, opening sequence between Hoffman and, Tom Cruise, it is fucking amazing. This is the thing, Patrick. I just, I was like, I want to see this I'm not, movie. I'm not. T- I haven't seen the rest of those films. I haven't seen anything past three. That's part. I of I haven't the- seen a minute of any of one of these. We'll do. We'll, uh, you, you, you not seen yeah. a minute of Mission Impossible. Everyone needs but, to stay I'm just, saying, just Google the intro no. to three, and it is <sighs> Philip, C- Philip Seymour Hoffman, R.I.P. Incredibly good in that movie. So. Tron, one thing I wanted to ask you about uh, is I know you've been playing a bit of WWE. I have. And I'm curious, what's the state of that series as, as well? Just because, like, the other podcasts I listen to, like the Next Lander guys, like, they have a love hate relationship with the WWE video games because, like, in some ways they really, like, nail, like, parts of the promotion. And then in other ways, they're just not very good games. And so I'm curious, like this, this they, they've sort of revamped how they produce these, right? Right. I mean, I, I don't think it's as I don't. Maybe this is just me. I, I've I've played every single game since 2K14. I think the recent release is a step in the, the right direction, as most folks have said. But I don't know. I don't know. It's not as big a leap as I think they made it out to be. I, I think a big part of that is from a gameplay standpoint, like things just work a lot better than the last version that came out. Um, 2K20 was a broken mess when it launched. You know, hit detection was terrible. All that stuff is improved. Um, but I, I think it, it also sort of depends on what you want out of those games. If you want like a proper like wrestling simulation, the way that 2K19, 2K14 and on were, I think this is a little bit less of that. And they're trying to go for something that's a little bit more pick up and play, a little bit more casual, a little bit more fun, like just a fighter. Um, and I don't know, I think me as a player, like I was looking for something that's a little bit more close to like, oh, I want to create a wrestling match and the drama of a wrestling match and the story of a wrestling mm. match. And it doesn't, the new one doesn't really do that all that well, in my mm. opinion. So it's, yeah, because that, that was the thing I was wondering is like, if the appeal is mostly it as a like wrestling fighting game or if it's like a building the act, uh, aspect of it like does it pay off well if you're like i want to create a wrestler and a wrestler wrestling persona uh does that have like cool options for that or are you constantly hitting the, the walls of like what it can actually support i think i think i'm 
me personally, it's it, I'm constantly hitting the walls. Um, the way they sort of switch things up, like the moment-to-moment gameplay, it's really reliant on combos. Uh, it's really reliant on just sort of your ability to efficiently beat your opponent. And whereas I think 2K, like I said, 14 on when it came to like a PS4 and Xbox One, uh, it was a little bit more focused on, okay, set up your spots. Mm-hmm. It's something a little bit slower. Um, I felt like I genuinely had some pretty solid matches, as nerdy as that sounds, like where I was like, oh, that was like dramatic. And I could show that to someone and be like, it doesn't it feel like the real product? Um, they're definitely stepping away from that. Um, and I, I think some of that comes from WWE No Mercy. From back in like uh, 2001 sort of like really divided the audience you have people who really want more of the it's a fighting game and you have people who really want more of like the it's a simulation thing i'm firmly in the simulation crowd there are tons of people who wanted something that's a little bit more pick up and play casual that's a call back to the n64 days and i think those people are, are much happier with the game than i am um and that's okay uh, i think if anything this shows that we need like competition in wrestling video games um, I am super excited for whatever AEW puts out, uh, just for the sake of like, it's going to give us something new for the first time in like mm-hmm. 20 years. And the genre needs it. Uh, I have a question. Sure. Have you ever like seriously marked out for a video game wrestling match? Like, like, absolutely. Like, like, totally, totally, totally. Uh, okay, so a uh, total admission here. Yes, uh, I, I actually uploaded a match that I had with Goldust in 2K14 to my YouTube. And every once in a while, like if I come home late from a party and I'm a little drunk, I'm like, let's put on that classic I had with Gold Dust. It's super silly, but I'm telling you, like, if, if that's what you're looking for out of those games, I, I think that the 2K games before 2K20 did a pretty solid job of doing that. You know, like they gave you a button where you can kick, you can basically have your opponent kick out, but you can activate it. So it's like, oh, I want to go a little bit longer or like yes. we're not going home yet. It's like super sick that they allowed that. Um, it did make it into 2K22, but I, like I said, I think it's just, it's a little tougher. There's no like lockups. There's no, you know, sort of like the little subtleties that you'd want to do if you're trying to like create a cool mm-hmm. match. It's more about, like I said, just beat your opponent as much as you can. You have infinite, you know, reversals. You have infinite punches. It's like stamina is not really an issue. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah. What does. I'm actually kind of curious, because uh, I don't really fuck with the WWE games. Uh, they're campaign modes, right? Yeah. They they do have... Okay, so I have a question. Wrestling as like a as like a form is built around like building narrative over time through a bunch of matches, right? And like a, you know, a whole like, uh, whole arcs, right? Do these games ever have interesting arcs for the... Do they Are they ever trying to tell interesting stories that you would not normally see in like a WWE? Are they ever pushing the boundaries of what a wrestling story is gonna be uh, in ways that like real real life wrestling cannot? I'm really glad that you asked that. Um, I think that's the other shortcoming with the game is uh, it's single. It's main single player mode is uh, it's they usually do like these retrospectives on a single uh, superstar. Uh, this year it was Rey Mysterio. So you kind of play through his entire career. You have to like do exactly what they tell you, like do the different spots from like, let's say the match mm-hmm. he had with Eddie Guerrero back in 96 or this match that he had with like Kurt Angle in this year. Um, that stuff is pretty cool just because it's really well produced. They usually get there to be involved to like do documentary style, like to, to camera conversations with mm-hmm. the actual superstar. It's kind of neat. Um, but the main attraction for me has always been my career, which is like you mm-hmm. create your own wrestler, create the persona, you go through the ranks. 
And I don't know, something that just doesn't click with me is like these stories just kind of feel pointless after a while. Um, mm-hmm. None of it has like actual ramifications. Like, for example, my character won a title in like their developmental territory and I won the title and it's like basically never been mentioned again. Um, they gave me like the world title and it's not even mentioned like, hey, he also won this other like lesser title months ago it's it's just very like here's a scenario play through it move on to the next scenario play through it and you just kind of do that for 50 hours um the developers were really proud that like there's 50 hours worth of gameplay but i feel like a lot of the story beats they're not representative of Mm -hmm. what wrestling actually is which is like this continuous story where you're Mm -hmm. building this character they're losing titles and there's consequences for that action um i think ultimately what a lot of players would want is something that feels a little bit more like an RPG where I'm making Mm. decisions and those decisions matter. And that is not in this game. Make a wrestling game with the nemesis system. (laughs) Make a wrestling game with the nemesis system. (laughs) That is what, that is what you need. Also, like uh, my other question is that like, do these games ever give you the tools to like cook the books on a fight? Right. Cause like that is part of the whole thing about like wrestling is like the building of storylines is in part because like some matches just have a predetermined outcome and like, the narrative is going to follow it and be interesting within the framework of the uh of the like predetermined outcome right does the game ever give do these games ever encourage you to play like that and be like okay cool this is a fight you are booked to lose lose it in the best and most interesting way you can right uh so this one there are certain like situations where it's like hey this is a match for this this certain character who you're coming up with to like you know learn the rubs a little bit let them get the win you'll take the the loss but there like i said there's no ramifications it feels for mm-hmm. a lot of those moments it would be so cool if like they asked me to do that and then that becomes a plot line in its own right but like the way it's sort of segmented is like okay you're gonna have a rivalry with this character and you're just playing like let's say five matches in a row and then that mm-hmm. ends and then you move on mm-hmm. to the next storyline and it's like if they felt a little bit more connected if it had a nemesis system that like the game is keeping track of like hey you hate this guy that would be way cooler and it's it's a little bit of a shame it was something i was hoping that it would be there uh cuz this game was in development for like 2 years it's the longest mm-hmm. the wrestling game's been in development for like I said, two decades. And when it came out, it was like, oh, this still feels like a bit of a half step on like the single player Mm -hmm. front. I don't know. So I am curious, like do you think next year's edition, like WWE is basically a hazmat zone at this point, right? (laughs) Like the leadership of the company melted down, like made like the iconic figures, the heart of it, uh are like in retreat or in disgrace uh and i'm uh, like i gotta believe like in the near future the at least some of the framing devices of a 2k game are gonna have to look different uh but i'm also just kind of curious i've been following this like loosely what what where where is wwe headed at this point because in the last year year or so yeah, as you as you alluded to, AEW uh like like signed a bunch of stars. Um won over a lot of the uh like diehard wrestling audience. And then what in recent weeks, uh like there've always been abuse scandals like in like there's skeletons in, in every closet, WWE, but like they all started falling out in the last few weeks, right? Right, right. 
Um, yeah, I, I, you kind of talked about uh, AEW there. I think it's really funny that in 2K22, like ha- it feels like half the roster, all of those folks are in AEW right now. So it's super strange to like hear them all referenced <laughs> with like their WWE names, where it's like I saw that guy on Dynamite last night. Uh, but anyway, like it's it's a little bit of a mess. I think the product as a whole um, is much, much, much better off without Vince. And and that's not even to say like he's obviously a piece of shit, but also like he's been the reason why that company has been super hard to watch for like the last mm-hmm. five years. Um it's been a really bad product. It's kind of embarrassing to watch. It's not funny. It's not fun. And it's a shame because the talent is super talented. Like they are all some of the best wrestlers in the world and they're kind of hampered down by Vince's decisions, but with him gone and the person who took over, um, it seems like things are back on the right track. It seems like it might actually be a show worth watching. Um, it'll feel less icky to watch it as well, which is always a big plus. Um, but I, I think also it's just better that AEW has a little, some competition. I, I became a fan since last September. I watched like one of their major pay-per-views and realized like, oh, this is actually like a viable competitor and mm-hmm. i'm actually enjoying wrestling again i thought i was completely out of it because wwe be- became so horrible um and yeah with with its new re- leadership and and them saying they're going to shake things up in a very cool way it's it's an exciting time for the product um i just realized ren one thing i wanted to hit on the show by the way is mm-hmm. uh you've been sinking your teeth into xenoblade chronicles 3 right yes I have um, been taking a chomp out of Xenoblade. All right. So catch us up a little bit. First of all, do you need to catch us up on the Xenoblade Chronicles or is or can you just sort of launch into three and it's like stuff happened. That's a setting. Now we're in a new game. So part of the part of the premise of Xenoblade Chronicles three is that it takes place in a world called uh, and I believe this is this is considered uh, non-spoiler because it happens at the end of Zen- this is a spoiler for Xenoblade 2 the end of Xenoblade 2 is going to get spoiled in the next sentence I say just a heads up at the end of Xenoblade 2 it is revealed that the worlds of Xenoblade 1 and 2 are literally physically colliding with one another in the way that like a universe collides with an- not a universe in the way that like a-, a galaxy collides with another one and it causes like a ton of serious consequences and so these two universes kind of come into contact with each other and a new one is formed And this game is set in that new world where each of the two primary factions are vaguely modeled off of the setting of the previous game. So one of them feels like the Xenoblade 1 folks. Uh, They have like these mech designs that are like 100% derivative of the Mechonis, which the primary antagonists uh, or the the assumed primary protagonist of Xenoblade Chronicles 1. And then the other side uh, is modeled after the like social structure of Xenoblade Chronicles 2. You're released into three. You're playing uh, characters who are from either side of this conflict. You have a party of six characters. Um, three of them are from one side of the of the war. Uh, three of them are from the other side of the war. Um, set in this world where basically the only way you can live is by stealing the life force of another person. Uh, and so it is basically this perpetual endless war uh, between these two factions for like hundreds of thousands of years. Uh, that is like the game's like base setting, uh, and you are characters who, through circumstances, are then positioned outside of that conflict. Uh, you begin inside of that conflict, and the game very quickly positions you outside of it through some really cool stuff. Uh, I think um, I've seen I've seen more of the game than I've played. 
uh, for um, a variety of reasons. But I think that it is a really interesting mechanical development uh, on the rest of the series. It is like it is like pushing into. It is is a hybrid of the first two games that feels really good. So I I'm like for me I'm just kind of the really the really basic obvious question which is like is this a like is this a moment where the series sort of opens itself up to new players or is it like if you were on the Xenoblade bandwagon and you've been on it and you like you you know uh, what your relationship to the series is going to be? It is a game that you have to do less talking around. I would say like you don't have to you don't have to couch the recommendation as much. Uh, Xenoblade Chronicles 1 and 2, those are recommendations you really have to couch uh, mm-hmm. in some pretty intense ways. Uh, for Xenoblade Chronicles 1, it's like, hey, this game's writing is actually really good, but some of the characterization is going to want to make you pull your eardrums out, and we're, we're just going to have to live with that a little bit. Um, uh, the, uh, first and second game's relationship to women is um, not good. Uh, the third game, however, uh, is actually doing a lot better with the things that would previously make you go, oh, I don't know if I can recommend that to people, right? The designs are so significantly less horny, it feels like it is being made by a different team. It is, and also, like, the depth of characterization makes it feel like there is, um, the game is being made by a different team. There was one conversation, uh, in the like first like quarter of the game between uh, two characters from those opposing factions, they're both party members, um, uh, Tyon and Lance. Uh, and Lance is this like a big bruiser dude. He's just like, he's your, he's your meathead. Uh, and Tyon is like a huge, like by the books, like military, but they're both really invested in their respective military factions uh, and begrudgingly work together. Uh, and while they are also militarily opposed, they are also like personality wise, deeply opposed to one another um and they're like they're they're foils um for each other and there's a conversation where lands is just kind of rambling to tie on they're like walking side by side and he's like rambling about his really complicated feelings about like the war generally and and their their specific relationship to violence and grief and it he's rambling in a way that feels deeply human that feels like the way that two people who have a complicated but close relationship to one another will walk and one person will kind of just ramble while the other one is like listening quietly. And the scene is really excellently characterized um, in a way that like makes it worth looking at, like makes it worth playing and watching uh, in a way that like it is hard to sell the previous games on the depth of their characterization in the small moments because they've been all about big swings. And it's like, hey, you're going to have to deal with all of this weirdness around women. You're going to have to deal with playing the game for 60 hours. You're going to have to do all of this bullshit to get these moments of like big narrative swings. But Zemblade Chronicles 3 is like really interested in the small moments, which means it's a lot easier to recommend to people. Um, Mechanically, it is pretty excellently tutorialized in a way that the other games have not been. Is it still MMO, MMO adjacent combat? I remember that's, I only played like six or seven hours of the first one and it just realized it wasn't for me and that's fine. But I, one of the things that did turn me off was like MMO style combat does literally nothing for me. And that game seemed to be so playing in that space. So it still uses a, uh, basically what's called the art system. Uh, characters will auto attack when they are close to an enemy. Uh, and then you have arts, which are class specific. And those arts, uh, you basically like press a, 
like button on the D-pad or um, uh, face buttons to do uh, a given art. Uh, and those arts are MMO-ish in the sense that like you are not actively button mashing the entire time. You are pressing a button and then watching an animation happen. And in that regard, it is MMO-esque. But the game is able to do a level of complexity in terms of uh, class-specific mechanics that MMOs generally aren't able to do, or it is doing a breadth of class-specific mechanics that MMOs can't do. Final Fantasy, thir- Final Fantasy 14 currently has, let me see, uh, Final Fantasy number of jobs. Uh, there are 20 available jobs uh, as of um final fantasy um 14 some of which upgrade into other ones um mm-hmm. so that number is actually a little bit smaller in terms of the the long term is that a way it has like 24 and you're mixing and matching the abilities from them in ways that are really exciting so some classes are more position based uh the main hero's class uh is just a swordsman who uh all of his abilities are built around being at different spots around an enemy uh, and so it is a- It is not active insofar as you are not mashing buttons, but it is active insofar as you are thinking about where you should be standing at a given point in time. Are you synergizing with your allies in the best way at this moment? Are you setting up combos, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? So while it still has that like basic talent art system, it is not in an MMO style hotbar uh, like it was in Xenoblade Chronicles 1, which I think put a lot of people off. Uh, and reasonably so. It's a, it's a hard UI to get used to at first, and is a hard style of of gameplay to kind of acclimate to. Um, one last thing I want to hit before we mm-hmm. get into the letters section uh, is a Toronto article you wrote uh, like late last month about melanin gamers uh, and like the fact that some black players as in game moderation has continue to fail uh to address like online toxicity and racism have kind of been trying to at least keep a record uh and, and do do a bit of like policing on, on their own i'm curious if you talk us through that effort and uh like where it sits in relation to the big platform holders who, who own these games yeah um so it's an organization called uh melanin gamers like you said um they're They've started this initiative they're calling The Watch. Uh, and basically what they're asking people to do is if you come across like a lobby or you're interacting with someone who's just spouting racist shit, saying <laughs> things we've all heard on, on online games, mm-hmm. and uh, just record it and share it with them. And what they're hoping is build enough of a movement to show like this is an actual problem that maybe there's a sit down and, and an actual conversation that begins about, hey, maybe we should have stronger guidelines about what you accept from your communities online, uh, what what they should be allowed to say without consequence. Um, and to be honest, like it's 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 a conversation that's long, long, long overdue. Um, you know, as as a gamer myself who's black, it's something I, I stopped playing Call of Duty for this exact reason years ago. Um, and to kind of hear that I wasn't alone was really eye opening. Uh, so much so that somebody actually wants to do something about it. And I, you know. Hoping for the best for them, but that's kind of the issue, right? Is like the fact that it is ending up being not even outsourced because it's because it, you almost get the impression like Call of Duty is not. If Call of Duty wanted to be interested in this problem, they'd be interested in it, right? They would they would be doing more. You sort of call out the fact that 
a couple of years ago, they talked a good game about wanting to clean up their community. And that doesn't appear to have translated into any sort of change in the experience of uh, what you find. You start like looking out for racism or like uh, playing a Call of Duty as a black person that hasn't that needle hasn't moved uh, in, in two years. And now they're just not talking about it. Right. And, and yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I was going to say, like, it's, it's, they were one of, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens of massive corporations who, you know, after George Floyd was killed, um, hey, we're going to do something about it. You know, we, we really want to, like, make sure we're more inclusive about our, our, our black player base and so on and so forth. And then nothing, you know, they, they put out a statement about, you know, here are the things we're going to do immediately. And it was about, like, just hard, harsher penalties if, if someone's reported and so on. But then nothing. Like, and it's kind of a shame that, you know, there has to be like this, like groundwork, ground level effort to finally do something about it. But, um, it's something that they, they are hoping, uh, Mo and the gamers are hoping kind of gets off the ground and, and folks will join in, help report. And, uh, like I said, they, they kind of hope this ends with some sort of sit down conversation with that division and them at least acknowledging like, Hey, this is a fucking problem. Do something about it. You're, you're losing. A significant, well, not significant, but a big part of your player base that you, I would hope they'd want to keep. That stuff always makes me wonder. <laughs> the question, like, I think there's kind of two things when I look at these sort of moderation questions. One is, I think, just everything on the Internet starts from this place of, like, really baked in sort of online libertarianism that was just sort of there at the start where where it's kind of like, Oh, we don't really want to moderate. Like people should be able to say what they want. You know, it'll like bad, I like bad actors, bad ideals be voted down. But like it's, it's really, you know, you don't want to be big brother parachuting in there and getting, getting into the middle of this, even though that's been like, that's that strategy is demonstrably failed. Right. And it's, you know, been a smoke screen for, uh, you know, sort of a, a more, uh, mask off white supremacy we see just in day to day discourse. Uh, but then I then I do also wonder if there's another angle of this, which is like, you know they they will release statements being supportive uh, when attention is on these issues. But I do I do sometimes wonder if there's not also a calculation that like, well, if we make this game inhospitable to racists, then that's a lot of that's a lot of uh, happy customers that we're going to be chasing away. Don't want to do that. Like I, I I look at these things and I and I do kind of wonder to what degree is there also just a really cynical calculation being made about like this is our community and we don't want to rock that boat. I, mean, I, I think feel- the cynicism. Well, Sorry, go on, please. I was gonna say, I think the cynicism of like those calculations broadly across communities is twofold, right? Like it is the, it's like, oh, we lose a portion of our player base, but also like they're doing the math of not only will we lose a portion of our player base, but like how much money is it going to cost to hire people to, to physically, to like manually moderate? Because the only thing that you can do for these systems is manual moderation practices. You can have uh, systems in place that can identify vaguely identify problems right but you have to hire people to do that work so even if the cynicism even if the cynicism 
is not around. If we get rid of if we get rid of the racists, we'll lose some player base. It's still the decision that it is the safety of the people playing your game is less important than the cost of hiring the people to make that possible. And so I feel like it's it's a it's a cynical like it's a cynical decision either way. Sorry, as you were saying, Tron. Um, no, uh, what was I going to say? Um, shoot, I lost it. <laughs> no worries. Sorry, that's all good. Uh, um, but but yeah, it's it's like they are. I, I think that I think that's a huge part of it. Is a lot of times they will explicitly frame, "Well, we want to work on these issues as soon as we can build the tech to support that kind of stuff." And what they mean by the tech is some sort of automated. Uh, basically a chat filter for like voice, right? Uh, so, something like that. Because the thing that is not, the thing that they really specifically try to eliminate from the conversation is like live moderation. Mm-hmm. Um, where they're like, obviously, obviously hiring people to look at these things, uh, is, is a non-starter. And, I, and, and yeah, it'd be expensive. But I think one other aspect of it too is it's sort of like, um, you know how when they change the speed limit in a part of town or something for a little while, like they're handing out tickets at like mm-hmm. all the time. Like, you know, they like suddenly anyone driving five over in that new zone is getting pulled over. And then eventually, you know, you're not doing that as much because largely like people have gotten the message that this mm-hmm. stuff has changed. And I do wonder, like, yeah, the mo- when you look at the state of the problem right now, the moderation task seems overwhelming. If you actually moderated it for like six months and started like moving people out for doing this, would that task still be overwhelming in six months? I, I kind of suspect not because like eventually people are going to get tired of like <laughs> creating new sock puppets uh, and, and, and new accounts for, for, for games, that, for games they want to play. Um, I also, yeah. I think it takes a little bit of like having faith in your product. Like you shouldn't be afraid of losing the racists in your audience. Like you should know that they're they're gonna bring up this whole brouhaha about like my games and my freedom to speech, but they're gonna return to your game. They're gonna return to Call yep. of Duty. It's the same reason why people that say they're not gonna play Call of Duty ever again buy them every single year. It's it's they will come back. There it's it's not gonna be that much of an issue. It's just a matter of investing and, and actually creating an environment where there's a, a consequence for this. Um, one of the things that Annabelle told me, who's, who's leading the whole effort on, on the watch was, you know, there's proof that they can actually give consequences for actions. Like if, mm-hmm. if someone cheats in the game and they are, are actively like using aim bots or whatever it might be, there's an immediate sort of consequence to it. Why isn't there a similar consequence for, you know, just if someone's getting six flags on their account because they, they say the N word or whatever it might be, do something about it the same way you would a cheater. Um, and the fact that they kind of just hands off, it's, it's this, it's this acknowledgement that, you know, this isn't that much of an issue. And, and, and I think that's what they're mainly fighting against. Mm. Mm. Um, I think we will leave that discussion there. And I think before we go, we have a little time for some, for some questions. Uh, for the, the for the Rob bucket? No, there's not, there's not questions for me this time. Yeah, do we, are oh, we have, do wow. we have real questions? Do we have questions? Wait, wait, wait. The Rob. host of the show? You're asking telling other people questions? That we have, there are questions about video games on, oh, no, on God. our Waypoint. Well, I wouldn't way- go that far. Okay, <laughs> well, <laughs> all right, well. No, cool, 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 absolutely cool, 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 not. Cool, cool, Sorry, cool, cool, this is the cool, Waypoint cool, cool, question cool, 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 bucket. 
keep your video game questions out of here. My apologies. No, you should I'm ask sorry, questions sir. about video games, please. I'm trying to steer the bucket in a different direction. Ask ask some questions about games. <laughs> Hold on, but we also we we need to keep bangers like this. This one was sort of for Patrick, but really I think it's for the world. Blake writes, "Howdy, Waypoint crew, longtime listener of the podcast, huge fan of the recent wave of deep dives in appliances and arcade machines. My mm. partner and I have been listening to backlogs of the podcast driving up and down the coastline lately." And Patrick's foray into Clawy and the logistics of having a claw machine at home mm-hmm. caused an argument between us that we'd love your input on. I'm going to preface this. Hey, Waypoint audience, don't be like other online spaces where people get really weird about like child rearing or like how people like raise their dogs. Don't be like that. This is don't 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 take this that serious. Oh, I love. Oh, I love. I love that you're setting this up. Let's okay. Continue. So. Please. So my partner noted that having a claw machine at home would be a great way to teach the value of money. She believes that the best way to manage one would be to put things our theoretical kid, they don't have a kid, our theoretical kid would want in the machine periodically and then let them spend their allowance on pulls. She mm-hmm. figures this would teach the kid that arcade claw machines are rip off by design and possibly curb any interest in gambling. However, she also believes that it would be a cost-effective way of paying our non-existent child an allowance because, quote, whatever allowance they spend on the machine can just be recycled in the next week's allowance. We might be able to pay them the same money each week. Okay, now, now that part, that part, continue. I'm just, now I want to make they're it onto something ve- on, the, on the second one. <laughs> well, I want to make it very clear that I love my partner with all my yep. heart. And that I generally trust her opinions as a behavioral therapist who works with children daily, even though I think this is absolute supervillain shit. (laughs) In contrast, I think the right approach would be to fill the machine up every couple of months, but leave it on free play to teach our fans from child hand-eye coordination, pattern recognition, and so on, while also leaving them with a fun party trick, obscure skill. Are either of us right? Is it ethical to engineer an allowance recycling system like this? How would you all manage this? Love the pod and fuck capitalism, Blake. Ren, you seem like you've been bursting. No, I'm fine. I'm. I, listen, I don't get to have parenting opinions as as the 22 year old woman here. I do. I do worry. But you're however, the most adjacent to being a kid. Okay, fuck off. <laughs> uh, I do. That's, not, I that's do. real. Okay, well, I could say I would worry that instead of teaching your child the value of money, you will be teaching your child to develop a gambling addiction at an extremely young age. That is, that was my fear with the first part of the question. With the second part of the question, is it is it acceptable to kind of re- to to put your child in an allowance recycling center? Uh, <laughs> go with God, I guess. I should note that when we did the claw machine discussion and then we did the stream where we looked up claw machines, we played a claw machine and uh, there was someone in the chat who said, hey, I'm at an auction site. I I could get you a claw machine like in the $300 range and I'll figure out a way to get it shipped to you. And I declined despite in my if I'm going to spend $300 on something this year, it's going to be the Home Depot skeleton. While I was on vacation, my reminder went off <laughs> to go to the Home Depot website for the sale they were doing for the skeleton. It's like the 12 um, foot skeleton. Like the 12 foot skeleton. Yes, right. $300. I really want it. Uh, and uh, 
I was like on a boat with no cell reception. So I got the reminder and just had no way of, of getting uh, to the Home Depot. You're trying website. to load an LTE page. Just like, please. I was like, trying, I was like, it. I like had half a thought. I was like, I should have just like tasked some waypoint people. Just like, look, could you just buy it for me? I'll pay you back and just put the shipping address for, <laughs> for me. But anyway, but anyway, so I declined the, the claw machine. And then I was telling the story to my wife uh, later that evening. And she was like, oh, that, I don't know. That would that would have been cool. Like, wait, you wanted me to get the claw machine? She's like, well, I don't think I would have been upset if you got it. And I was like, God damn it. So I guess if the claw machine auction site comes up again, uh, I might be able to put in this theory uh, in, into practice on uh, what is the fastest way to dislodge the brain of my almost six-year-old uh, with a claw machine uh, in, in the garage. Um, I don't think, like, Ren... The amount of things that are gambling adjacent already in kids' lives, I don't right. think this would move the needle on it. I, as I just showed you about the blind box obsession that per, is pervasive amongst every single, almost every brand that you think you can buy a, like a doll for or an action right. figure, there is a blind box equivalent. It is just sort of baked into how they're uh, uh, rolling out kids' toys these days. So it's like, it's already here. What you need to do is just equip your kid with like the the right mindset and values right. so that they can navigate that on their own because the idea of like shielding them from randomization uh to create a pleasure palace in their brain it's just <laughs> it's, it's just gone um and but the the pipeline of like getting them to reuse their money is interesting i don't we have not gotten to that point my kid is so reluctant to spend their allowance like they acquire it and then we'll spend an hour in the toy aisle talking about like scanning different things to see like what's the least amount of money they can spend on it. Uh, I can't remember if I told the story on the podcast, but like she had got a $10 gift card to Target. And I explained to her that, well, when you spend the $10 on the gift card, they take the card. And she well, I don't want to give them. I'm not going to use the gift card then. I was like, but there's $10 on there. You could get something with that. It's like, I really like having the card. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> kids are all so, inst- so instead i explained logic. to her i was like if you spend under ten dollars you can keep the card i guess i probably could have told the people could she just keep the card i i could have done that but instead for a while it was just a target card rotting in in her uh in her money purse that she has in her in her closet but i i'm intrigued i'm in- i gotta be honest i'm intrigued by this and i you know i there's a he's a half decent chance i'm gonna end up with a claw machine in the next 12 months so um i just don't know where to go in the garage but you know those are solvable problems for some reason i thought a claw machine would be way more expensive than 300 bucks in my mind i was like this um, is so elaborate same. and expensive but not bad <laughs> you can't it's well you gotta buy them in the right place right like we did we did it we were like looking at craigslist uh and things like that there aren't a ton of options for a claw uh machines um but it sounds like if you know the right people in the right place like it can be it can be achieved because i think it would be delightful to have a claw machine on free play Like you want cheetos i was like oh you know you used to just be able to ask the the parents in this house and we'll go get you some chips it's like oh no 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 you can get the Cheetos out of the claw machine because I like that's where I want like whenever the kids, the neighborhood kids come by. Oh, everyone, everyone eat lunch. Everyone just ate lunch, but they want a fucking snack. And it's like, you know where the snacks are? They're in there. Good luck. You can have as many as you want, but you're going to get them out of the claw machine. My hands going into the snack drawer. No more. That's not happening. So I think that's where I'm that's where I'm that's where I'm falling on this. It wouldn't be psychologically training my children uh, in any any form. Instead, it's just. 
the snack machine, the snacks are out of my hands now. I feel they like this is going to escalate into you running like a little <laughs> carnival out of your garage yes. for children yes. and like teaching them, like scamming them all with carny games and shit. I, like you're going to learn three so. card Monty and be like, <laughs> these kids, these kids don't know where the fucking bean is. <sighs> Whack-a-mole coming soon. <laughs> Exactly. I don't need cars in this garage. I'm sorry. I have a bunch of carnival games that I need to scam the eight-year-olds down the street. This is the most dad behavior. This is some of the, this is peak dad for Patrick <laughs> to me, is 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 finding ways to like inconsequentially scam children. Scam yeah. children in funny but insignificant ways. If you right, work yeah. on your skee-ball skills, this fun size Snickers could be yours. <laughs> All under the guise of teaching lessons, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you know they'll, uh, hey, uh, uh, Patrick, um, uh, it's, uh, we'd really like, like, we haven't, it's hot out. Can we have an ice cream sandwich? Oh, they're in the claw machine. They're melting, but let's see if you can get them before they melt. Good luck. Oh, you want a popsicle? They're there. Ooh, the red one is melting. You better get, you, ooh, get that. Oh, to the, um, oh, I'm so sorry. I've ruined my claw machine with these melting popsicles. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking very push it to you, Lacey. Gross ass machine. <laughs> yeah. Well, that reminds me, I need to see if I can get a Choco Taco before they're all gone. I wonder if they're yeah. already sold out. Can I, uh, I'll just, I'll just power wash my, my claw machine. Get out all the popsicle stains. Gross. But no, not gross. Because <laughs> the power wash will make it not gross. Exactly. Uh, all right. Uh, we got another one here. Unsigned. Hello, Waypoint. I have a hypothetical workplace matters question for y'all. While working, one of your coworkers messages you on the company-wide messaging thing. Slack, Skype, WhatsApp, Zoom, something like that. In the context of their message, you're pretty sure what they sent is intended to be a joke. However, you don't get the punchline. How do you respond? Do you admit to not getting the joke? Or do you just type lol so you can move on and get back to your work? Thanks. Unsigned because the situation isn't hypothetical for me, and I haven't sincerely lolled at a lot of workplace jokes I secretly don't understand. I think this is why law propagated as a response is people just being like, yeah, I don't know. Like, it does yeah. two things. One, no, it's I, like, yeah, I don't know if that's funny. Sure, you want to be funny? That's great. But also, there's the whole, and this is the coward's law. Um, sadly, I've used the coward's law occasionally, but that's only because now it's such a common thing. But it's the whole like give an instruction or like offer like a piece of severe criticism. Be like, lol, you probably shouldn't do that, lol. Um, I guess well, it's funny. Uh, in a group chat that I'm in with uh, Austin and Rob, I actually know. So there's lots of lowercase lols that happen, and it's not because people don't get a joke, but it's just like, oh, someone pasted something. Like it's awkward if there's not a response, and it's like okay, I guess that one didn't didn't go over. But then when you get the all caps lull, which is rare from Austin and Rob, but when you get that, it's like oh, direct hit, like boom, like I actually like actually they think it's funny because the small lull is just sort of an acknowledgement. The big lull is like okay, okay, that tickled me. I really enjoyed that message. Thank you for sending it, and that brings me great delight is knowing. Oh, I hit the bar like yes, like I, sh- I shared a good thing, and my buddies liked it. See, for me, a lol is like something has. If I say lol, something has gone horribly wrong. I am describing the most uh, the most emotional pain I've ever been in is a lol. But a lamau, 
a Lamau. Mm-hmm. Now, a Lamau is all right. A Lamau is generally positive. I think the other problem with this question in, in me is that I am much too autistic for it. I will simply ask for the explanation. I'll just be like, what does this mean? Please, please tell me. I have, I'm, I'm so stupid. I need so much help every day. What does, what does the, what do these words mean? Yeah, I'm I'm hugely in favor of just I I need the explanation because you never know if the person's going to follow up with like I'm going to keep the joke going and now you're just doubly lost. Um <laughs> also I reserve yeah, like that's totally a possibility that I I'm just not willing to deal with. Um but I also I reserve Lamau for like the actual like all right, you got me there. That that was awesome. Uh yeah. where's lol? Yeah, I, I probably use it more so like ah, we'll just throw that in there. Like that that made me chuckle. The thing that throws me off about uh Lamau is the sheer frequency with which it comes up where people are like relating to me things that I find worrying or distressing where it's like, Oh man, like you will not believe this grievous injury I inflicted on myself or, uh, you will not believe <laughs> this wait, financial wait, that? devastation that just R- happened. Are you talking about anyone in particular? I believe. Wait, are you talking about Cotter? <laughs> or are you talking about me, Renata specifically? And also in this members moment? of my family. <laughs> like people like people just being like, hey, fucked up shit happened, Lamau. And I'm like <laughs> So is that Lamau or is that like I need help and comfort? Right. That's that's how and, and, works. And, it's, and if it's LMFAO, I'm like, oh God. Like who do we know that who do we know in their neighborhood? <laughs> when I uh tore my hand open at the office, uh oh my God. I yeah, it's just a little scar. It's fine. Oh, okay. um, when I uh, tore my hand open at the office and I spent 45 minutes walking around looking for a med kit in the vice offices uh, that would actually be able to help me clean out my gaping wound, uh, I I did eventually sit next to Kato while I was cleaning it out um, as Kato was uh, sitting at the, at the table and I just looked over at them and went, pretty cool right and every single time i say the phrase pretty cool right that is the that is the intonation of the like the dark lamau or lol is is pretty cool right um and so i did get to have a fun 45 minutes walking around the office bleeding but not in pain being like this is pretty cool right was it though yes <laughs> the whole listen, was it really my mm. whole stitch getting experience was sick as hell i loved getting stitches mm. that shit feels cool it looks cool it was fun this i have, is a, I have this a cool is a retcon. scar now this is a retcon no it's not it is not at all a retcon this is not even a little bit a retcon if you ask kato this is exactly how i was in the moment i have the chat logs to prove that i was <laughs> thrilled about oh, getting this scar okay maybe i should be clear like however you feel about the experience you had to your colleagues ripping open your hand and having to get stitches during a workplace. <laughs> not a dub. Uh, uh, incident. Not a dub. Yeah, no, no, no W's were achieved as a result of that. Instead, like <laughs> having to rethink practices of how we run our workplaces was the, was the, like, we need, of that one. we need to get like safety training in there. Don't we? At the end of this thing, shit, we're going to have to, we, we need to file down the, the vice office and get those jagged things, uh, Listen. out of there. That's what happens when you buy a famous DIY venue and turn it into an office. It It's still haunted by the, it still has, the building has the need for blood. It used to be punks would punch each other down there. And now the building must take its price regardless. Uh, one last one here from Waz. Dear Waypoint, if you woke up one day to a new closet door that when opened, was discovered to be a pocket dimension that you could store one object of any size. 
what would you keep in it? That, that's a closet. What? So I was thinking about this because it got less obvious to me. Because on the one hand, like that's so useful. But it's got to be something you'd want in storage but not want to get rid of. Like right. the thing is that like the pocket dimension, does it, like for instance, the reason all those pots and pans fell off the ceiling is because my cabinets suck. It's it's all part of my horrible tiny kitchen. And oh there's no God. good place to Stop put it. there's no good place to put like pots and pans where it's like uh-huh. easy to grab them uh while doing stuff. So I had a, a cool place hanging where they're all hanging and I just access them immediately. Pocket dimension doesn't like really fix that problem because like if you're cooking dinner, you can't be like, I need to go to the closet with the pocket dimension and get all my cooking. Well, that was my that, qu- that was my question. I was like, I was thinking, can I put my claw machine in there? That fixes the that fixes the garage. See, I problem. think yes. We we're not doing the thing where it's like, oh, but then the toys couldn't be in it. I think if that, like whatever's in it, yes, like right. But I mean, it's it doesn't help me that it's in the closet. Like I need it in the garage. Like, can I? Is there a pipeline from the pocket dimension to the garage? You know this what I'm saying? Like, it doesn't right, help yeah. me that it's in the pocket dimension. It needs to be in the garage. So I, I need it to, like, funnel down there. It doesn't help me for that to be the storage unit. I'm going to get kids lost in the pocket dimension. They're not going to come back out. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go with something super practical. I'm just going to save my mm-hmm. bike because I always have trouble trying to find a place that doesn't feel yes. out of place. <laughs> That's as a long, good one. Yeah, that's a like, good one. I'm, Who I'm wants their go bike in their hallway? Nobody. Nobody wants that. It's the worst. It's always in its way, but I super need it. So it's like, yeah, I'm going with something super practical. And uh, as long as it's like in that pocket dimension, it's not getting disturbed, right? Was that made clear? Right. No, it's your it's your private pocket dimension. Yeah, I yeah. think you're good. Bike all the way. Oh, man. Yeah, I think um, the racing wheel setup. <laughs> yeah, there you go. But again... You were, but you, you're going to run into a similar like a bike is sort of easy to move around, right? Like otherwise, like it, where's oh, so this closet these. in your apartment? Is like then you're like dragging this thing around the house. Like That's is that true. is that convenient? Not really. I, mean, I know it collapses, but to what degree does it get through no, doors easy? Because by its, by nature, you don't want them to do that. Because then you're you're pedaling, you're using the pedals could disturb them. You don't want them like right. That's a good point. Maybe it can't be that. See, my thought is I want the pocket dimension connected to the object, so it's just like I'm pressing a button and then it disappears, but it can reappear yeah. in no, the I spot. Think, That's yeah. then I then I'm then I'm finding a lot more use for this pocket dimension, other than thinking about wanting to live there. We'll just start over in the pocket. That's thing. What I'm what I'm what I'm storing in there is me. Yeah, can I go to the it's pocket like, dimension? <laughs> <laughs> oh, this, oh, this this is my screaming room. Something we can all agree on. <laughs> where's Where's Dad? I don't know. Have you checked the pocket dimension? <laughs> the pocket dimension. Uh, yeah, no, I, I don't know. I um, I think the steering wheel thing could be a, a, a good choice. Um, I mean, also, like, if there's power in the pocket dimension, like, mm-hmm. having, like, what an awesome place to have, like, an awesome beer cooler, right? Mm. Like, so, yeah, actually, I think what I'm now landing on is, like, can I live in the pocket dimension? Not live, but, like, Turn it into a room. Like, can I just put the cool stuff in there? That's the fun room. Now, I have a question. Can you put other people's objects in the pocket dimension? I don't see why not. Like, can I put my roommate's bike in the pocket dimension? (laughs) So while you're in on Tyrone was like, this is where uh, finally a place to put my bike. 
Yep. <laughs> my, my roommate's bike, pocket dimension. My roommate's bass, pocket dimension. My roommate's amp, pocket, pocket dimension. <laughs> my roommate. <laughs> no, I like my roommate. I like my roommate very much, but all of her objects could go in the pocket dimension. Trumpet, pocket dimension. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or like the pocket dimension would also be a great like music practice room. Uh, I I think too is like going in there and now because like there's a brief window where MK was like you know I miss playing the saxophone and about okay. two days later she was like I'd forgotten how annoying this fucking instrument is she's like I cannot handle doing this uh it's it's just too she's like you can't play it quietly the entire like the form the technique mm-hmm. all of it you gotta kind of go right. And she was like, I just can't, like, I can't do this to you. I can't do it to my neighbors. And honestly, I'm not a good enough player right now, my current state of practice, that I enjoy hearing myself practice. Yeah, that is, that's me with singing. Uh, it is, I feel bad every time I do it. Uh, however, because like, boy, if you, hey, if you want to use the top of your range, ah, uh, you really got to support that shit, huh? Oh, uh, you really, you really have to kind of support the upper end of your range or you're going to sound like you're dying. And, oh, does that support occasionally produce more volume than one would like? Uh, is kind of the problem that you find yourself in. So, Patrick, you're just moving into the pocket dimension. Yeah, I think so. I think it's, uh, uh, you know, it's a bad housing market. I don't have a basement. The pocket dimension is my basement now. I think Great recording studio. Yeah, really quiet. I don't know. <laughs> we'll have to ask Kato about the, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe Kato can blame uh, his equipment on the pocket dimension. Oh man, my po- my 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 downstairs neighbors in the pocket dimension started doing some construction, <laughs> and it fucked up the the electricity in my walls. And now my pocket dimension's all fucked. I don't even know what to do with it. It won't stop buzzing. Aw, shucks. Uh, all right. So that will do it for today's episode. Uh, remember, should have said this at the top of the question bucket segment. But you can send us all your questions at gamingadvice.com with subject line questions. And hey, bubbling to the top of that bu- that bucket are questions about games for people, not me. Imagine it. Uh, if you want more from Waypoint, you can follow us on Twitter at Waypoint, Waypoint, Facebook and YouTube, Waypoint Vice. You can follow me at Rob Zachney on Twitter. Patrick, where can people find you? At Patrick Lubbock. Ren. You can follow me on Twitter at Ren or Raven. Jerome. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at, at Thelonious.ly. Uh You can also check out what we published on waypoint.vice.com in the theme of sometimes we write about games, but sometimes we don't. I just decided I had to talk about what happened in F1 this week, and so I wrote 2,000 words on uh, how Ferrari taught us all a really valuable lesson about how F1 works in terms of race strategy by making the worst decision in the race I've ever seen a team make. Um, like people made fun of me and Kato where they're like, you guys are terrible at motorsport manager. And that's true. But also if you think people who do this for a living wouldn't fuck up in similar, like just jaw dropping ways, just watch Ferrari, uh, and what they did during the Hungarian Grand Prix. That's, that's all I will say. Uh, thanks to waypoint plus, uh, let's see. Last week, Patrick, you started tucking into Elden Ring. You were you were yeah, on a mission. Speaking of cozy video games, yeah. So it's it's so cozy that you 
ignored it for months um, and had turned against it. But now, well, now I'm back to remind people that when I stream Souls games, they can get irritated at me one shotting bosses that they spent four hours on, which is my favorite part of the experience. So I'm sorry that I'm just so good at those those two gargoyles. Which was true in Dark Souls, and then also, oh, actually, the Dark, the, the two gargoyles in Dark Souls took me a while, but the big, the big stone <laughs> gargoyles in uh, Elden Ring, not so much. Wrecked. What is Pat, Patrick is here to take you to school? I'm, just, I'm so mad at what you, you just know, said to me. I knew, I'm so, I knew, I'm so I know. fucking mad. Oh, oh, I'm going. Oh, Patrick. Oh, Patrick Klepek, I'm gonna get you. Oh. You're, you're representing the chat, and the response. It was a bunch of people just. Like uh, um, angrily sighing uh, in reaction to, to, I think it technically did take me two turns, but I I almost never considered the first one to be like a real because uh, you're just right. kind of figuring out what's going right. on, and then the second fight is really if it's not technically a one shot, it feels awfully close, and so the second one I got, I went down. Uh, it, look, the the rock sling is too powerful. <laughs> oh, I keep God. telling myself to stop using it, but I'm sorry, the game won't the game won't stop me gonna climb onto my roof and throw a baseball like <laughs> goku and it's gonna go through your window i'm gonna throw i'm gonna throw goku's baseball you know? through your window from, from new york city i um as part of the stream i'm asking the stream to help me find ways to make the game part of why i'm i fell off it was that my the build of my character and how i was uh playing the game like i played 50 55 hours which is like uh a, a normal souls game length like more so and so I had just kind of gotten bored of the character I was playing. And so we're trying to find new ways to spice it up. And one of those was like to get away from, I think Banished Knight was the summon I was using um, for, for a lot of the game. Extremely powerful, very good at attacking and taking attacks from uh, bosses. And so instead we voted on some weird little guys uh, to, to uh, borrow a, a, <laughs> a Ren phrase. And the one uh, that we, we, the chat voted on was uh, the shield, uh, like skeletons. Like they don't, they just kind of pelt little grenades, but otherwise all they do is it's just five skeletons with shields pushing on enemies. And that's who we fought the the two giant gar- uh, gargoyles with. And it was so funny because they're just accomplishing absolutely nothing except just being like, rah, we're shitty little skeletons with our shitty little shields. Um, is I'm just like pelting these bosses with these giant meteor rocks. Um, and it's uh it's a delight. We're I'm playing all day. Uh, once a week uh, until I beat that game. Um, and uh, we're taking our time. We're not fast traveling, like fast tracking. I'm like going on little side adventures. It is not about trying to beat it as fast as possible. So if it takes me, you know, you know, a, a, you know, two months to do so, then it'll take two months to do so. But people seem to really enjoy watching it. And I've I've missed streaming those games. So um, I'm excited to continue it. I'll be I'll be in the middle of doing it when this podcast goes live. Uh, Patrick and Ren, you also have been delving into the virtual rental store. Yes. Uh, we have been playing. Uh, Patrick pitched me the series Ren's Blockbuster, where we would go in and play games that I remember renting as as a youth. Uh, and I think we had a, I would say, I have a biased perspective here, but I'd say a pretty excellent first stream. Uh, a really fun time playing Final Fantasy VII Dirge of Cerberus, uh, which we played... Uh, uh, last Friday, which was exceptionally fun. Uh, mm-hmm. That game, that game is fine. That game is totally fine. I don't know. I think it. I think it's goofy enough that it felt like a real predecessor to Metal Gear Rising Revengeance. Yeah, uh, they, in- the, the cutscenes are fantastic. It, like it is a game that by the end of the three hours, it was like, hey, think Ren's played enough of this. I've watched Ren 
play enough of this. But would I watch a YouTube like cutscene only compilation of like the sick ass moves that Vincent pulls in this game? Yes. I would. I would. And so I still need to do that. An exceptional dudes rock video game. Yeah. Uh, 100%. Pat- Patrick, I have to determine what we're doing next. Uh, but I'm I'm very excited for for whatever it is. The list is the list is I would say for me, para me, excellent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, listen, there might be I might Kato's not back yet, uh, and so we're not resuming our motorsports manager journey. But I might take another dip in F122. But I don't recommend you watch that. Um, I can't have people see what happens. Um, I think I, I overestimated this damn wheel, this racing wheel with the bad settings. Um, I think really set me up to fail last week and I'm hoping that I have it right, uh, for this week's stream, but I can't, I can't promise that. I, I feel like, uh, I may struggle to show my full skill, uh, in this, in this setup, uh, and then on Wednesday, I do plan on uh, showcasing a bit of the uh, gr- uh, the Grand Tactician uh, game mm-hmm. that I talked about on Pod last week, uh, the the Civil War game, uh, which is which is quite the object, and I think we'll mm-hmm. we'll sort of explore the the jank together. Sounds uh, extremely sick. Yeah, I think I, I think so. I think uh, they are they are patching it as fast as they can. So who even knows what the state of play? uh will be when that when that when that comes when that comes out. Uh and remember all of this is supported by Waypoint Plus. Uh, you can go to waypointplus.com uh and subscribe. Not only do you get access to our premium feed, uh, but you're also helping support Waypoint and everything else we do here right now in that premium feed. You can hear Patrick and I uh really just you know forget pocket dimensions. We went into the upside down where we embrace mediocrity. And that means we wrapped season four of Stranger Things in a big old bear hug and just just had a great time. Uh, so if that sounds good. Go to waypointplus.com and subscribe. And that also supports uh, what we do on the streams. And if you want to support even a little more or, or like, you know, be out there in the world representing uh, the brand, go to waypointgeneralstore.com and buy some of that merch. Earlier, Ren was uh, slaking her thirst with the Waypoint Adventure Pine Glass. Uh, it's empty by r- right now uh, because it's so efficiently delivered hydration. The water was so delicious. Knowing, knowing that it came from my Waypoint Pine Glass made the water oh, oh so much sweeter. I, fe- I felt like Patrick Klepek with how much I enjoyed this water. <laughs> <laughs> well, hold on. You drank it. I think as we established on the pod- on the earlier podcast, Patrick doesn't. He's just like, ooh. Not drink- ooh, ooh, it's so chilly. Bit, uh, ooh. Yeah. Got to gotta sort of go up to the, the cold water uh, and just get sort of goosed by it. Ooh. Our theme music is by Bowen. The track is Miss You off the EP Pale Machine. Learn more at waypoint.zone slash B-O-E-N. For now, we are calling time on this Monday. We will talk to you again on Friday. Until then, about capitalism, go. I guess we're calling time on this Tuesday because that's when it goes up. But this is vestigial. Wow. Anyway, fuck capitalism. Go home. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. 
If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.